We need a 24-hour-a-day police officer, a cop who doesn't need to eat or sleep, a cop with superior firepower and the reflexes to use it. Fellow executives, it gives me great pleasure to introduce you to the future of law enforcement. Ed 209 is a self-sufficient law enforcement robot. 209 is currently programmed for urban pacification, but that is only the beginning. After a successful tour of duty in old Detroit, we can expect 209 to become the hot military product for the next decade. Dr. McNamara. We'll need an arrest subject. Mr. Kenny. Yes, sir. Would you come up and give us a hand, please? Yes, sir. Mr. Kenny is going to help us simulate a typical arrest and disarming procedure. Mr. Kenny. Use your gun in a threatening manner. Point it at Ed 209. Yes, sir. Please put down your weapon. You have 20 seconds to comply. I think you'd better do what he says, Mr. Kenny. Hello again, friends. This is the Film Effect Podcast. Good morning, Film Effect. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's the end of the game right there. That's World War Three. Fucking hot recording right now. I literally never wanted a punch movie in its face more than I had last night. Definitely worth your time. It's it's definitely worth revisiting. Fifteen minutes in, I'm like, uh, Dorothy, we're not in Oakland anymore. It's in 4K, buddy. Check it out. It was kind of like an afternoon, you like drive time type thing. Or like the type of podcast you listen to at work. So let's get down to the nitty gritty. Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of the Film Effect Podcast. A weekly show that deep dives into a different film each episode in an effort to give it that full Film Effect treatment. I'm Ed209. And I'm Corey. And this is RoboCop. We get the best of both worlds. The fastest reflexes modern technology has to offer onboard computer-assisted memory and a lifetime of on-the-street law enforcement programming. It is my great pleasure to present to you... Robocop. This guy is really good. He's not a guy, he's a machine. Old Detroit has a cancer. Cancer is crime. Let the woman go. You are under arrest. You, you better back up, pal. 
Your move, creep. What are your prime directives? You have the right to remain silent. You have the right to an attorney. What is this shit? Anything you say may be used against you. He's a cyborg, you idiot. You recorded every word you said. You're dead. We killed you. His memory's admissible as evidence. You're gonna have to kill it. Get in the car, for God's sake! Robocop, the future of law enforcement. Set in a crime-ridden Detroit in the near future, Robocop centers on police officer Alex Murphy, who is murdered by a gang of criminals and subsequently revived by the megacorporation Omni Consumer Products as the cyborg law enforcer Robocop, who executes a brutal campaign against crime while coming to terms with the lingering fragments of his humanity. You know, I'm genuinely surprised it's taken 92 episodes to get to this film. I mean, it's Robocop. I have always been the biggest fan of this franchise, even as a kid. Like, I totally got it. And we're not even talking about Robocop 2 today, and that sucks because I love that movie just as much as I love this one. And maybe we'll, you know, maybe that's a bold statement, but it's a damn honest one. But with this, Verhoeven got so much right and really did craft an all-time classic with this. He nails the tone, the pacing, the vengeance element of the story, the execution. This is a rare case where he actually got everything right, in my humble opinion. Not to sound like an overzealous sci-fi fanboy or whatever. I mean, hell. I, no. I even no. Had to, I think it's a perfect film. Yeah. I, I personally think it's a perfect film. I wouldn't change... I, I, you know, spoiler, there's no mulligan for me. No mulligan moment this episode. Yeah. I mean, exactly. It's, I mean... Basically, it's, it's going to come down to that. I mean, I figured as much uh, from you. Um, I was going to say, hell, I even had the damn kids. I mean, the kids. I even had the damn toys for RoboCop. The kids. <laughs> yes, kids. Yeah. You, well, you they existed. The Google it. I I remember I was heartbroken when my Ed 209 snapped off the legs, just like in the I movie remember when that. he gets blown up. I remember that, actually. I was I was heartbroken. They had the it was the Ed two hundred nine where the caps went in on each side and it yeah. would pop. And it wasn't just Ed two hundred nine. Even the, even the figures had the little snap thing on the back. You can put it in there for you know for the guns that to, to give the appearance of a gun going off because you know you got to promote gun action in the eighties. Yeah, I I remember us playing as kids and like you were yeah. like. Clarence Bodiger, I think at one point, and I was a RoboCop, and I think we like switched it around. And I remember one of my prized possessions when I was a kid. I found a squirt gun that looked just like the RoboCop gun, yeah, but it was I remember like, that. and it was like yellow and orange. And I think when I got a little bit older, I actually got my dad to like spray paint it black, right? Just so it looked more like a gun. Like that was my prized possession because it looked just like the one in the movie. Uh, but that's how much, I mean, I actually wore out my VHS, my old VHS, uh, actually had the static in certain spots, mm-hmm. like spots I oh, yeah. constantly rewatched, oh, yeah. like, especially with all the gore. 
So yeah, I, I love this movie. I mean, I, I think I stated it previously, but uh, it's in my top five favorite movies of all time. Probably seen this movie as much as any other film I've ever seen. Yeah, I was gonna say I love it. I've definitely seen this movie close to a hundred times total over my life. Like that's a lot, and it's not an exaggeration. I've seen this movie a ton, and it just it, it gets better and better. I swear to God, even watching it earlier today, I'm like. I don't know how it does it, but this movie just finds a way to get better every time I watch it. I don't know what it is. It's just, it's so goddamn good. But anyway, let's get into it. First time viewings. Uh, it's, it's just that. You see, this is actually uh, my, my first time. No, no, my first, it's my first time uh, since my first time. So technically that's my second time. And I don't, I don't, I don't want to suck at it so if i'm not up to uh vivid memories of watching this at a very young age at my old house while my uncle and his friends were watching um i was like four or five like this movie had just came out on vhs literally and i was at my original house in white marsh where i have my earliest memories from and i remember uh a lot of uh, cousins and uncles and stuff were always I don't know, for some reason I have, like, my earliest memories of my original house was, like, mom had a house party. Because I always, whenever I look back on that house, I think of, like, different people that were always there. My memories include, like, my cousin Kenny, my uncle Jimmy, you know, my, my cousins, uh, my, my my aunt. It's just, it's crazy. And I remember going downstairs to the living room and my uncle and his friends were watching it. And the part with Ed 209, it scared the ever-loving shit out of me. Like, he, it put the fear of God in me. Like, And it took me the longest time getting past his massive demeanor. So, yeah, I was like four or five, fresh off the VHS run. Uh, my uncle, you know, watched it, and I was just peeking around. That was my earliest memories. It wasn't long after that I actually sat down and watched it myself. So, how about you? So funny enough, for a movie I love so much, I don't remember the first time I watched it. Yeah. I remember the first time I watched the sequel. That happens. And it just has to do with when it was released. I mean, this movie was released when I was like one. So, you know, I, I don't remember exactly. I know it was on cable. I know it was on a premium channel that I watched it because it was unedited. Because I remember just like having my jaw dropped. Um, like when the Ed 209s um, just blowing the guy away in the skyscraper. So I remember that and I remember getting the video as early as my parents would possibly buy me the video. Like as, <laughs> like pretty much like a few years later when they stopped caring what I watched at that point. But yeah, it's definitely like probably six or seven maybe when I first watched it and it was on cable. And that's pretty much all I remember. It's pretty fuzzy. I remember the sequels because I was older by that point, but not so much the original. So I wish I had a better story, but that's about it. Hey, man, it's a story. So, all right, story time. Speaking of stories. Tell me a story. Wait. Like my story? No, not your story. A story. Since you can't keep your mouth shut long enough for me to read my paper, tell me a story. I don't think I know any stories. You don't know any stories? No. All right, I'll tell you a story. This is a newspaper, right? It's 90% bullshit. But it's entertaining. That's why I read it, because it entertains me. You won't let me read it. So you entertain me with your bullshit. Tell me a story right now. Go. Let's talk about RoboCop and WCW. Because I swear, dude, when I think about RoboCop, one 
of the first things that comes to my weird oddball mind is 1990 WCW Capital Punishment, Capital punishment <laughs> yeah. in DC at the DC Armory and fucking RoboCop. He was like, he wasn't marketed as like a partner. He was more like the enforcer of the match, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he was like a special enforcer to make sure like the four horsemen didn't fuck around with Sting pretty much. If I recall correctly, oh, I, I think that's what it was. Capital Combat. Capital Combat. Capital oh, Combat. The return of RoboCop. It was a one time pay per view from WCW. But I think where WCW really messed up on this isn't, I mean, it's already goofy enough he was there, but they marketed the hell out of it. Like, you would have thought he was going to be in the ring wrestling the way they marketed this. Like, I honestly thought he was either going to come down and shoot somebody with a gun or he was going to wrestle somebody. That's honestly, because I didn't see it, you know, I, I was like four. I didn't order it on pay-per-view, but I remember seeing uh, like the tape of it several years later. Yeah. And I was just expecting something of that sort. Um, but yeah, apparently like he couldn't do anything cause like, they're like, yeah, he can't throw a punch. He can't get in the ring. Uh, he can't do anything cause the suit was so fragile. He could pretty much just walk down and like wave. It was or, falling apart. Or, yeah. It was like falling apart the whole time. It fell apart. Like I think the leg piece came off, uh, before he got to the backstage area after that, all that, you know? So the actual storyline, cause it was, um, the four horsemen, uh, against um, who was it? Was it Four Horsemen and a bunch of other people? I guess is uh, and Sting. I think that's what it was. And it, it, it was like you know Ric Flair and Sting because that is like the only WCW feud that was going on in the early nineties until Hogan came in, and they had this feud that was you know gonna you know come to a big match you know. Uh, in DC at this pay-per-view and it was coincided with the release of RoboCop 2 so they had RoboCop come down it wasn't like RoboCop was involved in the storyline it was just the actual pay-per-view where the, these um, you know this feud came to a halt uh, where they were just going to go home with it and they used RoboCop for the finish and I think he missed his cue or his mark or something like that, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah, he definitely came out late because uh, Sting was uh, comically like trapped for a while yeah. in the cage, I remember. And then like at one point, I think he bumped the cage and it like broke. And you could see like the cage was just flimsy because obviously it was a gimmicked cage, you know, so he could get out. It wasn't an actual like real lock steel cage. It was gimmicked up as they would say in the wrestling industry. So <laughs> you could, it looked so shitty and it was so stupid. And I think anybody who watched that was so disappointed, you know, <laughs> in the RoboCop aspect. It's like one of the worst moments in WCW history. And one of the events that inspired the creation of the website, WrestleCrap. That's how bad it was. Um, yeah, it, it was yeah. just... The Turner Network had recently bought WCW and they just didn't know what to do with it. They were just grasping at straws and just trying to ape WWE verbatim pretty much. And they're like, what does WWE do? They bring in uh, big celebrities for their big events. So we'll bring in fucking RoboCop. You know, (laughs) it just doesn't make any sense. Like WWE actually brought in real celebrities, not 
that character they played in the movie. You know, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, WCW, they just, it was just a mishmash of leadership at that point. Uh, you know, it was still years away from Bischoff and NWO before they really found their stride oh, in yeah. the mid-90s. So, yeah, you're this is the dark ages. Because if you... If you're a wrestling fan, even just a few years earlier, WCW was pretty good. Like, if you were a halfway decent fan of Southern Wrestling, it was still pretty decent. They still had good Starcades yeah. in, like, 87, 88. The old Maybe Clash 89. of the Champions, you know, events and stuff. Like the... Um, Midnight Express scaffold match. Uh, I think oh, it was Starcade, yeah. maybe eighty-seven or eighty. I forget the exact I year. Thought but it was eighty-nine. It was around that time. It could have been eighty-nine. Yeah, I think. I think, it was. I think they I'll left right after. I think they left right after, like right between eighty-nine and ninety. But I mean, that's like a classic. I love that match. Yeah, so, it's a good match. Uh, I don't know. There, there is a lot of good stuff. But this was like the dark ages, the early nineties. This is when you had <laughs> fucking Vader with his uh, five levels of fear, whatever yeah. shit that was, and like, all this other random stuff. It's a lot of good stuff. This was not one of them. <laughs> Let's just put it that no. way. God, it was just, oh, man. Time to wipe the bad taste out of my mouth and talk about something else. Let's move on to live top five. Rob, it's your turn. Okay, I'm feeling kind of basic today. Top five side ones, track ones. Janie Jones, Clash from the Clash. Hey. Let's get it on, Marvin Gaye from Let's Get It On. Nirvana smells like Teen Spirit off of Nevermind. Oh no, Rob, that's not obvious enough. Not at all. How about uh, Point of No Return on Point of No Return? Lewis, so you can uh, get up a... Shut up, shut up. <laughs> white Light, White Heat, Velvet Underground. Okay, that would be on my list. Though not and on mine. Massive Attack, No Protection. The song is Radiation oh. Ruling the Nation. Alright, let's do top five movies featuring mechanical lead parts. Because why the fuck not? Uh, let's see. I just realized I put a bunch of movies on my list and did not order them uh let's go with um <laughs> wally i'm gonna you know what my number five is gonna be a tie between wally and big hero six let's get the pixar films out of the way uh i almost put big hero six on mine i, I was close i like baymax love I'm it i'm a fan love it love big hero six so much salt in the theater with madeline uh, been a huge fan ever since and uh yeah and wally just as big of a fan uh that one's been out longer of course but i, I love them both just as much i love them equally so they're both my number five, Wally and Big Hero Six. What you got, Corey? So for an honorable mention, um, because you know what you sent me was robot or mechanical part in a lead, so I couldn't put him in there. But I wanted to mention Bishop in Aliens. Uh, huge fan of that part. Lance yeah. Hendr- Hendrickson is fucking awesome in that movie. Um, but I just want to put it on there because he is more of a supporting role. I mean, he's in it a decent amount, but I wouldn't say he's the lead. You know, I would say Sigourney Reaver, maybe Michael Bean are the leads in that. So I I wanted to mention it, though. I love uh, Bishop in Aliens. I always felt so bad when he got cut in half by the Queen in that movie. So I wanted to bring that up. But he survived. Um, and he survives until the crappy sequel. i know some people like that movie i hate alien 3 i hated him so much for killing hicks hicks was like one of my favorite characters back then and ripley i mean obviously she survived but i hated the fact they killed uh hicks in that movie i'll never forgive fincher for that i'm still mad about that yeah other Um, than that but anyway other than that i i don't know i'm a fan of alien 3 unapologetically (laughs) 
it's not a terrible movie, but I was just, I remember when I was little, I was like, what the shit after all that? He's dead. And then I just tuned out. Like, I just didn't care. I was so excited when that came out. I remember renting it. Anyway, we're getting off track. Yeah, we'll just save it for the uh, inevitable episode because you know damn well down the road we're going to be covering those films. So, yeah. Save the conversation uh, but, for them. Yeah. But, uh, you know, funny enough, my number five is another animated movie. So I almost put Big Hero 6 in this part. Well, spart in this spot but uh i decided to do another one um a little bit less known movie um is the iron, iron giant, giant. Um, i was gonna say you put the iron yeah, giant on there you're putting the iron giant on there aren't you <laughs> yeah so i feel like, I like if it. i would have been the right age at this movie it would have been one of my favorite movie like animated movies of all time it came out like i don't know 99 2000 something like that so i was already a teenager but I remember when I saw it, it just charmed the hell out of me. This movie, just the the visual style, the voice acting, it all makes for a great movie. I mean, it it's just so awesome. Um, you know, it has a good cast. It has um, Jennifer Aniston, Chris um, Vin Diesel, Chris McDonald's, yeah, Chris McDonald's the um, villain, and then Vin Diesel does the noises for the Iron Giant. Just such a likable character. Just so innocent and then at the end you know he turns into the big war machine but it just has such a good message it's it's just such a wholesome movie and unfortunately it bombed you know you know uh yeah. just nobody saw it i remember nobody talked about it now it gets a little bit don't, more love, but back then nobody don't cared. feel shame for loving that movie because i know people who are much older than both of us that often cite that movie as one of their favorites so it's no shame in that. It's it's universally loved. I know that much. So, my number four is Metropolis. Foss Maria. Big fan of that film. Always been since I saw it in middle school. Uh, from time to time, I'll go back and check it out uh, every four or five years or so. Uh, uh, but yeah, it's one of the oldest films ever, and still to this day, it's funny to me that that film's over a hundred years old, or just about a hundred years old, and it looks in some cases better than movies that came out within the last 25, 30 years. And that's no joke. So yeah, it's, 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 a, it's just a, a piece of, of just, it's gorgeous cinematography. It's just, it, the whole movie still works for me. And I, I like to go back and revisit from time to time. So um, just number four for me, Metropolis with, you know, just hands down Metropolis. Funny enough, that's a movie I've never seen all the way through. I've seen so some parts of so it, good. but never seen all the way through. So I, that's one uh, I have to get around on my list at some point. But anyway, my number four is one we talked about on Fewercast, actually. Ex Machina. Ava, Ex Machina. Um, love that movie. Such a spellbinding sci-fi movie. Just causing so many questions of technology and morals. Uh, and I love it. So, Ava, Ex Machina, number four. All right. This is where it's going to get tricky for me. Uh, not really. Number three for me, RoboCop 2. Um, like I said, I, I think I love that movie almost as much as this one. Um, and yeah, we're going to cover it one day. So, I'll save the conversation for that. How about you? So my number three might be a controversial one, but uh, mine is Johnny number five from Short Circuit and Short Circuit. You know two. what? I almost put Short Circuit as my number five. That's crazy. 
I I'm I, this might be controversial, but I actually like the second one better. I like Short Circuit two Same. better for whatever Same. reason. The city, the big city, Michael McKeon, uh, it just works. I like it better than. I'm sorry, Michael McKeon over Steve Gutenberg any day of the week. That's that's how it is for me. You know, I could have did. You know, I could have did without Fisher Stevens and Brownface, yeah. but. You know, what are you going to do? It was the time. Yep. You know, it was the time. I just always remember Michael Keane, like, or Michael McKean, um, you know, with the homeless people. He's like, all right, after we're done working today, we're going to go get a three-course meal yeah. at McDonald's. Yeah. Like, I'll just never forget that. And I'll just never forget Johnny Five, Los Locos, kick your ass. Yes. Los co- <laughs> Locos, kick your face. Yes. Los Locos, kick your balls into outer space. <laughs> anyway, Johnny Five has got to be on my list. I love it. Uh, number two, number two, number two. God, this one's going to be so tough because I love these movies. Oh, God. Can't believe I'm doing this, but number two is RoboCop. Oh, oh, God. I hate myself for saying that. (laughs) Only because number one is just that fucking good. So what's your number two? My number two, it was tough too because my number one and number two are very close. It's not I think far people apart. listening know what the fuck other film we're talking about. Yeah, I'm not talking about um, the fucking robot girl from the 80s sitcom. Uh, what was that one? Um, <laughs> Little Miracle or whatever. <laughs> we're talking about Debbie, <laughs> Debbie Friend? Are you talking about Chris no, Swanson, no, no. Debbie Friend? I always put that on my honorable no, mentions. It, <laughs> no, my wife brought it up when I was talking about uh, doing this list. Right. It was an 80s sitcom. Oh God! Where it was like a little girl that was a robot. It was called like Small Wonder, <laughs> I believe. Oh, it's like I, I, probably a reason I we don't know about list. it. Yeah, I always put it on my list as a joke. I think it only lasted for like one or two seasons, but it's just so ridiculous. There's like a little girl; it's a robot on it. Um, but anyway, my number two, I had to put it at number two, but the T eight hundred from Terminator Two. Uh, you know, obviously Arnold Schwarzenegger, classic role. Terminator 2, probably my favorite action movie, like as far as a pure action movie is my favorite, like just the stuff James Cameron was able to pull off in that with the helicopter and the effects with the robots and the motorcycle and the big mm-hmm. fucking uh, 18 wheeler and the gully. Like, I don't I've seen that movie probably almost as much as Robocop, but I just couldn't put it at the top of my list. Not for me. So, but G800 was in the second spot for me. Yeah, I had to. T2. Um, and inevitably, again, a film we will be covering uh, sooner than later. Actually, I'm surprised we have not covered that. That's weird. But yeah, because I love T2 so much. It's a film I grew up on. Um, literally grew up on that movie. And um, it's it, it's got everything that even this film that, that we're about to get into has. They, they, they both, like I said, they're so close together. My love for them between Robocop and T2, but T2's got the slight edge because it's just got, I feel like T2 has more than what Robocop has to offer. And that's not a knock on Robocop either. It's just T2 is just a, yeah. it's a bigger, more, bigger in the, in, in scale uh, overall. It's epic. Yeah. It's a, it's a more epic movie. And I'll say, like I said, as a pure action movie, it's better. But yeah. for me, the total package uh, for RoboCop is better. So anyway, to, spoiler for my number one, but uh, RoboCop, uh, Peter Weller. I mean, it's just iconic. It's just such an iconic role. I mean, 
RoboCop is everywhere. There's cartoons, mm-hmm. toys, shitty sci-fi series. It had the whole deal. So, um, you know, I was always obsessed with RoboCop. Uh, one of my favorite all-time like fictional characters. So, yeah, it had to be top spot on my list. All right, so before we get into the movie itself, a uh, little bit of brief background information on the movie that I got from doing my notes. Uh, filming took place between August and October of 86. The screenplay was offered to and rejected virtually by every big director in Hollywood before Verhoeven got a hold of it. Um, even him, when he first read the first few pages, like he threw it away, convinced it was just a dumb action movie. Uh but his wife, Martine, read it all the way through and convinced him that the story was layered with just such satirical and allegorical elements leading Verhoeven to direct the film. I heard Cronenberg uh, was even attached at one point, uh, like, or approached at one approach point. Approach is, is a better term. I wouldn't say he was ever attached or had any interest in it. Uh, from what I read, he was uh, considered... And when he was brought up or when they approached him, if they even did, he just kind of just shut it down. Like, no, this was Verhoeven's pretty much from the word go. Uh, Ed Neumeyer came up with the idea for RoboCop after he helped out the helped out on the set of Blade Runner, which was also about cops hunting robots that look like humans in the future. Intrigued, Neumeyer turned the scenario around into a future where the cop looking like the robots would be hunting human criminals. Uh, So that's, you know, your basic information on where this film came from, the idea behind it, you know, the the, the filming and all that. They got uh, financing through Orion Pictures, who also financed The Terminator a few years prior. And so, yeah. Uh, we had the ground running with the RoboCop title card right off the bat, minus the uh, actual credits, over some old stock footage of Detroit before cutting into media break with Casey Wong and Jesse Perkins, intercut with satirical commercials. This is media break. You give us three minutes and we'll give you the world. Good morning. I'm Casey Wong with Jess Perkins. Top story, Pretoria. The threat of nuclear confrontation in South Africa escalated today when the ruling white military government of that besieged city-state unveiled a French-made neutron bomb and affirmed its willingness to use the three-megaton device as the city's last line of defense. And the president's first press conference from the Star Wars orbiting peace platform got off to a shaky start when power failed, causing a brief but harmless period of weightlessness for the visiting president and his staff. We'll be back in a moment. Is it time for that big operation? This may be the most important decision of your life. So come down and talk to one of our qualified surgeons. Here at the Family Heart Center, we feature the complete Jarvik line. Series 7 Sports Heart by Jensen. Yamaha, you picked the heart. Extended warranties, financing, qualifies for health tax credit. And remember, we... Now, 
the media breaks throughout the film are described as direct criticisms of neoliberal Reagan policies. You got to remember, this is the eighties, so politics yeah. are really in play here with a lot of stuff, even bigger than they are today and have been. The eighties was like no. the age of politics, in my opinion. Yeah, you can definitely tell, uh, you know, if you're alive around this time, just by watching this movie, even if you had no idea when this came out, you can tell the error. It's definitely a product of the Reagan mm-hmm. error um, when you're watching it. And also, I just wanted to say, it's just like the commercials are so far ahead of their time. Because I mean, not the commercials, the um, newscasts were so far ahead of their time just because it's hauntingly like today where you have this new these newscasters telling us this horrible stuff like what's going on right now with the war you know with russia i mean it's just like this terrible stuff on the news and it's very very poignant um even today so yeah it's just way ahead of its time i think yeah and i I really have always dug the commercials that he added to this that to this movie and and uh even the sequel um when that happened um who did the sequel? What was your favorite? What was your favorite out of both? Like out of the sequel or this one? What was your favorite commercial? You would it's say? It, it's actually in part two. It's the uh this the the blue sunblock. The woman puts so much on it where she's literally <laughs> fucking blue. One application. Blue. Yeah, you're good for hours. Yeah. Yeah. Urban. That's right. Urban that. Kirshner. That's right. I forgot. Urban Kirshner did Robocop too. Urban Kirshner who wrote Empire Strikes Back. No, he directed Empire Strikes Back. Um. And, and, and yeah, that's a big name. I forgot that's such a big name directed such a, I don't want to call it underwhelming because I, I love RoboCop too, but uh, it just didn't catch on the way this one did. That's all. That's the way. That's, that's yeah, why I say I think it. it's like that. I think it's good. I forget which uh, movie it's in just because the two kind of blend together because I've seen them so much, but I love the one where the criminal gets in to steal the car and gets electrocuted to death. The very first say it's, that's <laughs> two. how two opens. It literally opens at that commercial. Yeah. And uh, you got jo- John yeah. Glover pops up and gets in the car and drives off. I love that shit. <laughs> that's a yeah. good one. I've always appreciated that one the most, but they're all good. They're, they're all great. Yeah. So, um, now, and I mentioned the stock footage of Detroit because his film, you know, set in Detroit, filmed in Dallas, nowhere near Detroit. Yeah, they. they tw- yeah, they did like scouting, right? Like they they decided like Detroit was a little too old school, and they needed something newer, futuristic. Yeah, the, uh, they said I, I um I read that. 22 locations in and around Dallas were used for filming. The only actual showing of the Motor City itself is the opening, this first shot here of the stock footage. Um, the media break crew got Casey Wong, played by Mario Machado, who made a career out of playing these types of roles on both television and film as like a newscaster. While Jesse Perkins, everyone's going to know as Lisa Gibbons of Entertainment Tonight fame. Then we cut to police, uh, Detroit Police Precinct Metro West with Sergeant Reed, played by late character actor Robert Doki. Listen, pal, your client's a scumbag, you're a scumbag, and scumbags see the judge on Monday morning. Now get out of my police station and take Laughing Boy with you. I fucking always love that line. 
Um, <laughs> and it happens to be Alex Murphy's first day on the job. Peter Weller here talks of officers going on strike after we go through the co-ed showers due to low income and increased crime. Another officer was killed uh, recently. We see uh, Reed and another officer take his name pal or his name badge off the uh, his locker and clear it out. And he tells all the all officers, everyone not on duty is ordered to attend the funeral. And uh, yeah, because when he comes in to take the uh, the nameplate off and everything, there's like he walks in while they're all talking about striking, and then like it just gets really quiet and somber when he comes in, and it's like. Yeah, everyone who's not on duty Monday, your ass is going to be coming to this funeral. And I don't want to hear any more about this strike. We're police officers. We don't strike. Um, Until the sequel. I know. <laughs> well, actually, this one. But A central theme in RoboCop is the power of corporations. Those depicted in the film right. are corrupt and greedy. Uh, just privatizing public services and, and gentrifying the entirety of Detroit. It's, uh, yeah. yeah I'm, I'm trying to pick my words carefully with the way I want to word this and talk about it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's the, the strike thing we don't see until the end of this movie. And yeah, that's something else I want to talk about. Real quick, that, that's actually not in my notes. That's you brought it up, and it, it just came to my mind. I really appreciate how they take this this whole strike. They take this idea, okay, and they they stick with it through these movies. Like the whole, I think it's kind of cool how they 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 keep this uh, plot line going through all the sequels. So it's never like you know they go on strike here. RoboCop 2 starts, are all back on the force. No. When RoboCop 2 starts, there are no officers except for RoboCop on the street. And people that... No, it's like one man per car. It's only like a few uh, cops it's, out there, it's, pretty it's much. It's like, yeah. it's Lewis and Robo. That's pretty much it when the RoboCop 2 starts. Because, again, at the end and of this Duffy. movie... Yeah, fucking Duffy. At the end of this movie, <laughs> it happens at midnight, and then it carries on until... I mean, that's literally what part three is about is like it's this whole strike comes to a head with the construction of Delta City because that's something else that this whole Delta City plot line and the strike that it goes through not just this movie. It's also a part of part two and it's also there culminating in RoboCop three, even though I do (laughs) not like RoboCop three. I hate the fact that it's watered down. But there are. Oh, it's, it's terrible. It's, it's it's bad. It really is. It's not completely terrible. I do think there's some redeeming factors in that movie. Not a lot, but um, it's just yeah. They dropped the ball on a lot of things in that movie. They they lost Weller because it, of Naked Lunch, and they 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 Robert John Burke just wasn't quite Peter Weller. Again, PG thirteen rating did not do them any favors. And uh, it was just silly. It, they toned it down for kids. It, it was just silly. And it's a shame that, you know, the two great movies were building to this idea. And then the third one just fucks it up and executes so it horribly. Is. Literally, part three is pretty much the war that parts one and two set up. And then you get to it. And it's so underwhelming. <laughs> yeah. But. Yeah. You get the stupid samurai robots and then you get the stupid 
jetpack oh, that they just made because kids bought it because Jesus. I was a kid then and I and got then it. They like, have was, a, a character because like what was the the name of that squad? There was a special unit in RoboCop Three, and one of them had like an action figure. So there was like there was a, I vaguely remember there being like an animated toy commercial for this doll. It was one of the oh my god, Corey, come on, man, RoboCop Three. I've only seen that movie a few times. <laughs> yeah, not helping. So me. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I just remember the little girl like reprograms like Ed two hundred nine, and he's like, "I'm loyal like a puppy." Yeah, and I was yeah, just like, yeah. Ah, shit. Although I did like Stephen Johnny Root. Rehab. <laughs> That's the name of it. Johnny Rehab from RoboCop three. Yeah, Stephen Root's from RoboCop three also. That's right. And so is uh, CCH Pounder. It's not a terrible movie by any means. It's just not a good movie. This is this is. Agree with that one. I think it's okay. Terrible. Well, then one of us thinks it's that. Then I don't know. Maybe I gotta rewatch it. I, I, I'm. I feel like I'm sitting here defending the movie too much. I guarantee you, if I guarantee you, if you rewatch that thing now, you're gonna hate it more. Because I rewatched it a couple of years ago, and I remember thinking the same thing. Uh it was watered down, but it wasn't that bad. I mean, I, I own uh, the movie. I had the Screen Factory disc. I own it too, and it sucks. <laughs> you, I've never watched I it again. It. Fuck that movie. I own it too. <laughs> so, um, and this is where we see that Murphy's partnered up with Ann Lewis, who is, uh, um, Nancy Allen. Let's talk about Nancy Allen. I feel like we don't talk about her enough on the show. I don't think we ever have talked about Nancy Allen, actually. <laughs> I was going to say, when have we ever talked about Nancy Allen? I mean, we didn't talk about Carrie yet, so I don't think Carrie, we did. I was going to, I was about to mention Carrie, um, Blowout is another big performance of hers. Fucking De Palma's Blowout with John Travolta, also with Carrie. Uh, I gotta re-see that. I haven't seen that in a That's long good. Time. That's real good. Um, yeah, because it's not like it's 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 not like um Nancy Allen's been known for these you know great films that she's started over the years. Um. I mean, I guess I can forgive her partially for uh, Poltergeist 3. <laughs> but other than that, I mean, yeah, the Robocop films, um, I feel like I missed... I just liked in the I just liked in the third one she was in it and died yeah, immediately because she was like, oh, I fuck this movie, I think that's why she agreed to do it, is uh, if they killed her off early on, she would come back. I think that was the agreement. So don't quote me on that until we get to the episode, but, you know... And, oh yeah, dress to kill. Duh. I I I I feel like an idiot right now because I I haven't mentioned dress to kill yet. Talking about and there's another another De Palma film for Nancy. It's uh, it's just funny because you know she was known as playing you know like the pretty girl like with the long blonde hair right. and things like that. But obviously in this one it's uh you know counter tight like she has her hair short and she's like a tough cop you know almost like one of the guys one of the boys on the force mm -hmm. but i grew up watching this movie so that's what i always knew her as and then like when i saw carrie or like you mentioned blowout i was like whoa she's like way different these uh, for me it was the other way around a lot of people knew her you know as the pretty girl but i always knew her as you know lewis the cop yeah me too um i'm looking at her work right now Damn. She, I honestly don't know anything else she's, she's in. Nothing else she comes to mind She hasn't done anything right for 20 years. Her last movie 
that she did because she had a film come out in 2008 called My Apocalypse, but there's a note here that says that it was filmed in 97. So that got shelled. Prior to that, holy shit, she was in a film, nine years. She was in a film called Circuit that came out in 2001, and then before that, in 99, I would I would say this was her last big role. I guess was a uh, Children of the Corn 666 Isaac's Return. So, <laughs> if you want to call it a big role for big that movie, role. oh shit, she was in Out of Sight. Out of sight. Yeah. I don't know. I haven't seen that. The George Clooney yeah. one, right? Yeah, yeah, is that yeah, what you're yeah, talking yeah. about? I haven't seen that in a long time Damn. either. Yeah, there it is. Out of sight. She plays Midge. I've. Wow. Okay. Damn. She doesn't seem like a Midge. <laughs> no. I don't know. I'm surprised by that. I, I haven't seen Out of Sight since it first came out. So I know that's coming out. I think Keno Lorber's putting it out in 4K next month. So I'll buy it then and rewatch it. So, anyway, um, so yeah, she's Anne Lewis in these in these movies. Uh, so originally, an actress Stephanie Zimbalist was originally cast, but had to give up the role when she was called back to film more episodes of Remington Steel. Nancy Allen was then cast, and Paul Verhoeven had to cut her hair shorter and shorter several times until it was short enough as Verhoeven wanted to desexualize the character. So that's why uh, Lewis has the the very, very short hair that's unlike Nancy Allen in this movie. And there's also a running gag. I've always noticed this growing up watching the film, but I never really noticed that it happens throughout the movie. I thought it was just in one or two scenes. But every time we see a patrol car speed up or down the ramp to leave the parking garage here at the co- at the cop station, the rear bumper, no matter what, fucking hits the ground causing sparks to fly every single time and there's a scene I'm even later on uh, in the film you hear a car leave and I'm like we're gonna hear sparks and if you listen close enough you hear a as it's going up I'm like oh there it is it is a running gag damn um <laughs> so then we're on the executive we're at the executive meeting rather on the 95th floor of OCP headquarters where we were introduced to a variety of characters, including poor Mr. Kinney. Uh, got Bob Morton here, played by Miguel Ferrer. We've got, um, of course, Dick Jones, played by Ronnie Cox. Um, Another person playing against type in this movie, Ronnie Cox, yeah. and like always like such a wholesome yeah. guy in all a bunch of other movies. And this one, he's like the most evil, corrupt motherfucker you've ever seen. It's just, but he plays it so perfect. I mean, he's awesome at it. Yeah, so, you know, it works. Bogomil in the first two Bev Cop films, and um, of course he would come back to play the villain again for Paul Verhoeven's Total Recall. And I, I like him, man. I like him. I like him a lot as uh, the villain. And it's funny because, you know, it, he is typecast in this. But personally, I've really only known Ronnie Cox to be a villain growing up. I think, like, Deliverance and Bogomil, like I just mentioned in the Beverly Hills Cop films, other than those movies, like, I really just recall him being just a shitty person in whatever he's in. I, I could be wrong. Maybe I don't. Maybe I haven't seen enough Ronnie Cox films in my lifetime, but uh, yeah. Otherwise, uh, we're also introduced to, like I said, Miguel Ferrer, Ronnie Cox, 
Dan O'Hurley as the old man, the chief, exe- the chief executive of OCP. Now, we've talked about Dan O'Hurley here, uh, uh, Dan O'Hurley here before on the show. He was, of course, the toy maker in Halloween 3 season of The Witch as uh, Connell Cochran. Um, and he was also in The Last Starfighter, but we have not, unfortunately, talked about that movie yet. I do have it on my master list because I'm a big fan of that movie. I think it's one of Nick Castle's uh, more underappreciated films. Nick Castle, of course, is the uh, the shape from the original Halloween. Went on to be a director. He directed such films as Last Starfighter, Boy Who Could Fly, Major Pain, and Dennis the Menace. Remember that one? How- <laughs> I fucking forgot he directed yes, Dennis, Dennis the Menace. The wow. fucking menace. I like that movie. I do too. I legit like that movie, Dennis the Menace. I haven't seen it you in know, a couple I'll stand years. By that it's movie. been like, it's been about four or five years since I watched it, but I've never been mad at it. I saw it in the theaters twice, so you know the things you do in '93 when you're fucking nine years old. You want to go see <laughs> Dennis the Menace. Well, that was the age of know, like I the know. old sitcom remakes, yeah, you know. know. So yeah. and uh, Felton Perry as OCP employee Donald Johnson, who. Uh, I've always he's, loved Felton Perry. Perry is the only person who's in all three movies, and that's pretty much other like, than uh, Nancy Nancy Allen, of course. But yeah, I think I think other than like a Dirty and, Hair movie, I don't know what else he was even in. Felton Perry. That's this is the only thing I remember him from is the RoboCop. Sergeant movies. Reed also in all three movies. Uh, no, I was gonna say uh, Felton Perry was also in Dumb and Dumber, and he was also in. Who is he in Dumb and Dumber? I, I I'm not I'm not thinking. He's I, he's not he's popping into my head. One on of the that detectives one. on the case. He's uh, it's him and a know. young white kid. Uh, I don't know why I'm blanking on that. I do not remember him in that yeah. movie. Wow, I got to rewatch that now. And then he was in Puppet Master Four. <laughs> I, I don't have a joke for that. It's a, I'm not ashamed of not remembering that fucking movie. Is that the one where they start turning good or whatever and they start fighting Yeah, because from four hell? and five are filmed back to back. They're like a two-part movie, almost four and five. They're like... I remember you and I were like so excited for those yeah. movies because we thought it was so cool the puppets were good. Because they like, were fighting <laughs> other puppets in that mo- in those movies. It was just them versus the whatever the evil puppets were called. They had a name. But they were facing them. Satan sends Satan sends back these little demons that are like two <laughs> yeah. feet or two inches tall. <laughs> That's his plan. Yeah, I love that. Um, and he was also the deputy in uh, Walking Tall, the original Walking Tall. Kids, not that Johnny Knoxville the Rock remake from two thousand four. Hey, that's not a bad no, one. It's either. not. It's not. I like both Walking Talls. Honestly, they're both I good. Do too. So, uh, yeah, he's uh, him, the old, not the old man, because old man's not in part three. But yeah, Felton Perry, Nancy Allen, and uh, uh, Robert Doki plays uh, Sergeant Reed. Those, to my knowledge, are the only three actors who are in all of the movies. So Yeah, I think you're right, unless it's like a random extra or yeah, something I, like that. I think as far as like the else. feature roles... Yeah, I think as far as featured roles, I think you're right. I don't think anybody else was in all three. So at this meeting, we're also, as the viewer, introduced to uh, OCP. They're a mega corporation who the city hires to oversee the police force as they're about to begin construction on this project that they're calling Delta City. Delta City is like this futuristic city that they're building 
pretty much in Detroit. They're going to, I guess, rename it. I think that's their game plan. And uh, like I said, this is a project that's going to be spread throughout all the movies. Although, it kind of takes a back seat in RoboCop 2. Uh, I think Delta City's mentioned like once or twice in the sequel, but part three, they really drive that one home because it's like, it's all about that, the the construction that they tease in this film. The actual construction takes place in part three, and that's pretty much what the plot's around. Uh, um, around. Now, now that we're talking about this and I'm thinking about part three, is that the one where Robocop is in the fucking like low rider yes. and the roof gets ripped yes. off and he's driving yes. it? Yes, that was the only good Takes part in that movie. Pimp. That was Takes it. Takes it from a pimp, that's right. And, uh, a pimp mobile, got, yeah, that was it. That's the only good part. And uh, Yeah, because uh, he faces the splatterpunks, remember that? Yeah, and honestly, that's not a bad concept if it was actually um, done well. I don't have a problem with the whole splatterpunks thing. I just, I don't know, the whole thing. The guy, I forget the guy's name who was in 3, but that played Robocop, Robert but he Jones wasn't Burke. any good, and... Yeah, nothing against the actor, but it was bad. It was bad. Yeah, it's Robert Ugh. John Burke. He was uh, he went on to be Tommy Gavin's cousin in Rescue Me. So, um, see, so yeah, at this meeting, uh, they're talking about Delta City, Dick Jones, which is OCP's number two, right behind the old man, demonstrates his Ed Two Hundred Nine project until, um, shit goes south. So. Yes, this Ed 209 <laughs> is basically what he's going to put on the streets to replace the police officers down the road. And uh, every fucking block and corner is going to have one of these things. And uh, they de- they do a little demonstration. He has this guy, uh, the, Mr. Kinney, come up. Who We saw him in the earlier, when the scene starts, he's coming up the elevator with uh, Bob and uh, Felton Perry's character, Johnson. Bob and Johnson, they're always they're they're always together in this movie, and they're with this guy Kenny, this third leg, if you will. And then, Dick Jones has Kenny point a gun to demonstrate, you know, what he his, his crime against Ed Two Hundred Nine or whatever you want to say, and he does so, and then he drops the gun, but Ed Two Hundred Nine is still you know counting down from twenty seconds, and like he's running around like help me, help me. Dude, everybody else is like, get away from me. I have been saying this since I was a child. There is an exit. Fucking run out of that office, my man. Why are you standing in front of this giant fucking machine that's just locked the target on you? All you got to do is run. He ain't going to chase you. Just get the fuck out of there. in his defense, wasn't Ed 209 kind of blocking the door at this point? <laughs> like, wasn't he kind of in between him and the door? No, because he comes out, he has his own little, like, entranceway, I guess you can consider it, that he comes out of. Because we see it later on in the movie when Robocop comes after Dick Jones to arrest him, and he learns that he has a fourth dete- a fourth prime detective. Um, he When he brings out Ed 209, I know we're getting ahead of ourselves, but give me a second... He comes out from like this little back way in the office, but because I, if I'm not mistaken, I think the office is kind of like an L shape. So he's he's coming from one end, and if you go down around the corner to the other end of the office, you can just get out the same way Robocop does later on. But no, Kenny just stands there saying, "Help me, help me, help me," and then he gets blasted to shit. I mean, blown the fuck away, toe annihilated. Up. 
depending on which version you see. If you're watching this unrated, like the like, like Corey and I, holy shit, holy well, shit! Well, is it? It it goes on. Uh, you know, rewatching it more recently, I was like, I forgot how long it goes on. But um, you know, I think the unrated is the more common version at this point, isn't it? I think the R-rated I think one so is kind of less common at this at this. I point. think so too, really, because uh. I can't tell you the last time I watched the rated version of this movie. It's always been unrated for me, at least. Um, yeah. But do you know? Do you know how they? Um, what kind of gore they added to it to make it obviously like blood and stuff? But they also added like uh, squash in there, like spaghetti squash, to add to the guts and everything yeah, like that when sense. he's getting blown yeah. away. Because it's, it's, they're definitely not your normal, you know, squibs that go off like this dude is caked in fake blood. It's fucking insane. Well, they, t- they talk about it in the behind the scenes. Uh, all the squibs and appliances are way bigger in this movie because, uh, you know, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but when Robocop, when he shoots yeah, his gun, it's a, a fucking, it shoots. Yeah. Yeah. It's a hand cannon, but it also shoots three rounds. Yeah. So what they did is tripled everything. So it's triple the blood and squibs in every appliance. So everything is like fucking supersized in this movie. Uh, but before we move on, I just want to say, I love the design of the Ed 209. Oh God, it is a so cool looking, like it's just a Japanese inspired thing. So awesome. So iconic. Um, love the comedy with like the noises and he's counting down. You have 10 seconds to comply. Like I just love and he growls um, what, and shit. Yeah. And it's he growls amazing. and squeals. Later. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We'll get to that. But awesome. yeah, this, I, I was getting ready to talk about him. I fucking love Ed 209 so much. The design, the fact that he legit put the fear of God in me as a child watching this movie with my uncles. And, um, yeah, anything that can scare me as a child and I can look back, you know, 35 odd years later and just still be a fan, like overcome that fear and just, or embrace it, which, whichever way, um, yeah, there's something about him that just has stuck to me my entire life. You know, you had mentioned your figure and all that. It's like, I only wish I fucking had an Ed 209 figure. <laughs> you know, we don't want no Robo. We want Ed 209. That's how it was back in the day. That fucking toy was boss. So, everything about him is he got the two, like, fucking arm fucking cannons and and just is he just has this look that's just damning and and his voice and just the fact that he's just you know what he is he's just so incredibly intimidating and that's all there is that's all there is to it it's just he's just so intimidating and that's what works about him so much so and I also really wanted to briefly talk about the arrogance and doggy dog ways of this this we of everyone their attitude the way you know Bob is and and Johnson afterwards like you know he's Johnson tries you know bringing up Kenny after the fact and Bob's just like because we see Johnson be like that's a, that's that's a shame about Kenny and he's like well it's what happens. It's just like, oh, okay, I guess Kenny, it's it's just just, an afterthought now. It is. It's just so funny how it's played up for almost like comedy. Like in this scene, like, you know, it's not like 
super haha, like you're just sitting there laughing funny. But it's just so comical. There's this big board and they have this giant robot and it just blows away one of the board members and everybody's just like, nah, oh well, you know. So it's just the contrast between this and then later when Murphy gets uh, blown apart. Like, it's just funny how this movie uses violence in different ways, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So then we get Murphy and Lewis. They are pursuing Clarence Boddicker and his gang. So they call for backup initially, but they're told that backup's not available for 15 minutes. Okay. <laughs> can you fly, Bobby? Once they get to the old... Yeah, the fucking... Can you fly, Bobby? Can you fly, Bobby? Clarence, no! Just... We just need to appreciate all the many one-liners that Kerwood Smith has in this movie throughout this movie it's you can make a fucking book out of it all the fucking one-liners that that man has throughout this movie like his his casting in this was like an act of god because it's like he was just meant to play this character this shitty slimy just no good fucking piece of shit but Kurtwood Smith has yeah. a, has a way about it, the character and his portrayal of him, and it just it just works. It it's I love him. I love him. Yeah, he just doesn't give a fuck, and it seems like he has fun. Like the whole crew, it seems like they're having fun the whole time, just being these terrible scumbags. Boddicker is and walking like around Kurt- this film with a chip on his shoulder the entire time, and it works. Yeah, you you can tell he hates like all the upper level OCP guys he hates the cops he just fucking is anti-establishment and it's just funny because Kurtwood Smith like he's not an intimidating looking guy like he fucking wears glasses he's like balding right. he's like a normal build but he is just such a good villain in this movie just such a good henchman I guess you would say to Ronnie Cox's uh, character yeah um so yeah they, they call for back up 15 minutes and uh they decided to go to the old mill site where they chased Boddicker and his guys to anyway. And um, backup still unavailable, even though they proceed after these guys anyway. Would you? I mean, clearly these fuckers are outnumbered. It's two against the entire gang. I mean, backup's not yeah. on the way. I don't know about that. I don't know. Y'all got shotguns? Uh, like, yeah, yeah, I, I don't know about definitely. going in there. I really don't, but they do. We love them for it. So, yeah, they... they um, uh, let's see. Oh, yeah, I have a note here. Kurtwood Smith. Back to him. Uh, Red Foreman. Gotta love him. So, he originally auditioned for the role of Dick Jones. And then when he first learned that he wasn't cast, he thought that... No, when he learned that he was cast... He thought that, you know, that that was the role that he got. But, no, not at all. He found out later on that he's playing Clarence Boddicker. And later still, he discovered the reason. Being Dutch, director Paul Verhoeven had grown up near the Holocaust and through, uh, through that. And thought that when wearing glasses, Smith resembled Heinrich Heimler. And Smith apparently agreed with the idea, stating that a bigger, more menacing villain 
would come across as someone who could merely be outsmarted while his character's glasses made him look smarter and they're more, more of a threat. And therefore, more of a threat. So, um, and then we get Murphy's death. God. And before we get Murphy's death, and, uh, uh, yeah, Lewis gets, you know, knocked out, incapacitated, all that, because she finds, uh, Joe, which is the, uh, the, the, the black guy of this group. Um, what is that? It's, uh, yeah, Joe Cox, played by Jesse D. Goings, and um, yeah, he's taking a leak, and then he says, uh, she tells him to put his hands up, and he's like, you mind if I zip this up? And she's blowing a bubble, and he goes to zip it up, and she looks down, and as she looks down at his crotch area, he just incapacitates her, just knocks the gun out of her hand, then knocks her down, onto like all these boards and pretty much knocks her out for the most part and he has this laugh every time he does something throughout the movie it gets kind of annoying but then like you know did you, you adapt to it because he's like <laughs> yeah, that's like his like a joker ask yeah laugh. that's like his character it is kind of like a joker laugh it's his character you know yeah that's why i'm like, so forgiving about I, it like one thing i will say like obviously other than Bodiger, they really don't get any characterization the whole no. gang but they are memorable because they all look different they all act different well plus one of them is uh, ray wise separate ways well one of them is ray wise but uh you know they're all very um unique i guess they all have different looks and i'm sure that was done purposely you know just so they would all stand out separately but obviously yeah one's ray wise for sure so we got Emil and this other guy uh, turn on the TV and uh, they get apprehended by uh, Murphy uh, who kills the one guy. That's why he doesn't even have a name. He goes to get a shotgun. Murphy shoots him. Bang. Gets killed. And then that's when Clarence and everyone else show up and pretty much get him to put down his weapon. And they have a moment. Uh, we, we get a little back and forth uh, between Murphy and Clarence. And it doesn't end well. It ends with his hand getting blown off. Where's your partner? Where's your partner? Well, guys, the other one was upstairs. She was sweet. Mm. 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 I took her out. <laughs> I bet that really pisses you off. You probably don't think I'm a very nice guy, do you? Buddy, I think you're slime. <laughs> See, I got this problem. Cops don't like me, so I don't like cops. <laughs> Well, give the man a hand. He's all yours. All right, all right, look out. Turn around, man. Hey, straight for it. 
Man Hand. And he gets virtually every bullet in all these bastards' guns empty, yeah. unloaded into poor Alex Murphy. Yeah, he gets his hand blown off, then his arm blown off, and then, you know, he gets shot up, and then eventually they just pop one right in his head. Yeah, which... Realizing that the film was behind schedule and over budget, Paul Verhoeven and producer Joe John Davison purposefully did not film one crucial scene. You know what that scene was? This one. Alex Murphy's death. Yeah, this was the last thing they filmed, right? In, like, California, wasn't it? Yeah, because it was after production wrapped. After it wrapped, they went back to L.A. and grimly informed the execs that Murphy's death had not been filmed. After watching the footage that they did film, the execs were so astonished by the aesthetics and performances that they gave the filmmakers more money, and they filmed the scene in a redecorated warehouse in Los Angeles. And I also put here that uh, the film was submitted to the MPA 12 times before securing an R rating. Um, yeah, because it was obviously this scene, uh, the Ed 209 scene earlier, and then uh, wasn't it like when Emil gets hit by the truck, wasn't that like a big thing? Like they didn't want that in the movie either. When he gets melted and gets hit by the truck, I think, was like the other big sticking point. I remember hearing like that push them over the X initially. So, Murphy's airlifted to the medical center and then taken straight into the uh, emergency room where he's having surgery and is eventually transformed into Robocop. After a series of POV shots prior to him being released from his chair, because they're very vague about him at first. They don't. You don't see anything except for, like, the arm, pretty much. Yeah, exactly. And the reason for that is because. Verhoeven and um, hang on a second. They were aping uh, Terminator, weren't they? Weren't they trying to ape Terminator a little bit? A little bit. In an interview, Paul Verhoeven admitted that when the audience would see Robocop for the first time, he would just swing the camera into him and show him right away. Instead, Robotine suggested to slightly hide Robocop behind glass and bars and mainly hear him approach before fully showing him. Uh, Verhoeven liked the approach. Characters were often introduced this way in many of his favorite spaghetti westerns and went ahead and used it. So we can go ahead and credit Rob Boutine, who did the makeup effects for this film, as the inspiration behind, you know, us not directly seeing Robocop at first. I mean, we yeah. they don't really hold off when showing him to us for that long. Eh, it's like one little scene we like, where he's see, walking. We see him in a scene later. Yeah. And I just want to say, like, I think having the POV shots when he's getting rebuilt is genius to me just because we're traveling with Murphy. Like, we're on this ride with him. Right. I just think it humanizes him a little bit because you see the shit he went through. Like, he got shot to hell. And then now he's getting treated terribly by these uh, OCP execs and scientists. So you just feel for the guy the whole time. And, you know, with the POV, we're there with him. So I, I think it was a really good move. Uh shooting in that fashion instead of just seeing a wide shot and seeing them have some more gore effects where they're like trying to operate on them or something like that. I think it was brilliant the way the uh, Verhoeven did it with the POV. Oh yeah, the uh, the trauma team, when he gets airlifted and you see him like getting taken back to uh, have surgery uh, right away, the trauma team in the film uh, were actually a real trauma team from a real hospital. 
their dialogue was mostly ad-libbed, and yeah, dude, that's, you know, not actors, it's real nurses and doctors and whatnot. Uh, so about the OP, OP, OCP's uh, claim that it is a private ownership over Robocop. So there's something else that this film talks about with uh, OCP, and that's, you know, just... Is, consumerism, is that the right word I'm looking for? Because it's just like... Who owns Robocop? Whose property is he? And uh, it's, well, it's a I, big fight between OCP and the city. And Yeah, uh, I would say consumerism is a big one, but also just like private, private privatization of uh, the military like is a big one in this because this is kind of the beginning of that where you had more right. and more um, companies just taking things private as opposed to being owned by the city or the government you know it's just it, it, it speaks to all that there's so many themes there's so many layers and that's why you know this movie is what it is yep so oh yeah and the the three prime directives serve the public trust protect the innocent and uphold the law so <laughs> Do you want to talk about how Peter Weller wanted to like add like ten more directives into the movie, and it was they were like just yeah, you didn't know about that. That's why no. him and yeah, Peter Weller. So the whole thing, like he had this whole vision for the character, and he wanted to add like all these other prime directives. Like he's like RoboCop should. It's kind of like they took the idea um, in the sequel when he gets all fucked up. I think that's kind of where it got born out of because he wanted to have like RoboCop should teach environmental lessons and RoboCop like it's just all this crazy shit that um, Peter Weller wanted um, and because Verhoeven hated it like they hated each other for a while I think Verhoeven wanted to fire Peter Weller but they couldn't because he was already fitted for the suit so they didn't have a choice because they couldn't have another actor come in pretty much they needed an actor with the right size for the suit instead of casting the role first and then designing the suit around the yeah. measurements. No Arnie for this one. No Arnie. <laughs> yeah, so before like Weller was tank. cast, before Weller was cast, uh, the two names that I found in my research here was Rutger Hauer was also in line. However, it was decided that he was too large to fit into the costume. And then similar situation for Michael Ironside. Who was also attached as Robocop. That's a shame, too. I think it would have worked with Ironside. I think he could have pulled it off if he was the right size. Uh, the other yeah, one I heard of, the other one I heard about um, that openly campaigned for the role was Peter Fonda. I, I heard he openly campaigned. Uh, like, he came in and wanted to be Robocop, but uh, I think at that point, either Weller was already cast or they just decided against it. Yeah, I think the latter, but... Um... And then finally, my last note here is RoboCop's look itself was inspired by the Japanese comic The Eight Man and the first metal hero Space Sheriff Gavin, both from the 80s. I'm not quite familiar with either, but I do know that his uh, look and design was uh, just came from a bunch of other, you know, uh, ideas. Um, so I've yeah, always, uh, go on. No, I was just going to say, I've always appreciated, uh, the design by Rob Boutine and I know the, um, writers, um, Neumeyer and Miner had input and Verhoeven. I, I know it was like a collaborative effort, but I think what, uh, Boutine built here 
was fantastic. Like, he just doesn't look like any other robot in any other movie. You know, in most other movies, you the robot either looks like a human or it's, like, fucking huge and boxy. Like, just the fact that he, uh, Robocop in this just looks so sleek. He, he looks like he was built in Detroit, which I think that was another thing they were kind of going for was it looks like something one of the big three car manufacturers here in the U.S. would build in the future. Because he's fucking painted like a car almost, like with the way the light reflects off of him and everything right. like that. Yeah. So it's just so iconic and genius. And like, you know, I know it took forever for him to get the suit because I know they had it like literally got delivered, I think, the day they had to shoot it or something like that. And then it took like hours to get Weller into the suit. And then he fucking would like sweat and sweat and lose weight. Yeah. Apparently, apparently I read somewhere where they said that it took him like, 10 hours to get into the suit i think really? that was like the first day i think like okay. the first day it took them like okay. all day and and they couldn't even shoot because it took them so long and then i think they worked it out as they went uh because it was just such a get up because i mean the way Boutin designed it it was like basically a soft black under thing and then the hard you know like painted metallic pieces would snap on top essentially and, like, literally, I had to fucking, like, screw it. Like, you see the guy with the power tool, like, Peter Weller standing there, or the guy with the right. power tool, like, screwing it in. Like, it's just crazy what Peter Weller had to go through for this role. I mean, it's just insane. Yeah. So then we get Robocop going through the city on his first night on the force, stopping at a convenience store first that, uh, it's, it's being robbed. Featuring a couple who watch and laugh at the sleaze playing on TV throughout the film. Um, yeah, a guy comes in with a gun, wants them to open up the safe. They're like, oh, we don't have a safe. And like he just kicks her over this just tower of fucking beer cans to reveal a safe. Which, okay, I see what you guys are up to. Clever, where the safe is. How do you fucking get into it all the time with all that shit? Yeah, I know. That'd be a bitch every time you got to make a deposit. Yeah, right. Exactly. Like, how the hell do you get to that safe in the middle of the floor like that? Like, I, cool design, cool idea, but bullshit. Uh, so the the convenience store robber that comes in and does all that shit was played by the film stunt coordinator, who gladly accepted to be one of RoboCop's victims and contributed the idea of being hit onto the floor or into the door of the glass cooler. Because the hand, I like this this thing here. This is going back to when Robocop first leaves because he needs keys. Because the hands of the Robocop suit were made of foam rubber, the car keys would uh, bounce off of Peter Weller's hand every time he attempted to catch them. It took them up to 50 takes and an entire day worth of filming before he finally caught the keys and they were able to get the shot, the, the rest of uh, the scene done. Jesus Christ. He, when when, when uh, Reed throws him the keys and shit, he catches it and walks out. And he says, thank you. I could just, I, I wish they had outtakes for that. I could just see like keys bouncing off his hand. Like, ow, almost had it. Because Peter Well was uh, a <laughs> method acting. He was on set like as the, as the character. So he's probably like, ow, almost. I know, he was method acting. One more, yeah. That uh, he was method acting, and then Verhoeven, like, since they didn't like each other, he would always call him Peter, and <laughs> just to yes. piss him off because everybody else he wanted everybody to call him Robocop, and Verhoeven would still call him Peter just because they didn't like each other. <laughs> yeah, 
and uh, hey, back to Nancy Allen. She first, okay. So the first thing that they filmed in this movie were these commercials. Okay, they filmed them in like a warehouse somewhere in Dallas, like everything else in this movie. So Nancy Allen, she comes in while they're filming this. And she thinks that it's actually like the movie. And she thought that they were like making like a sleaze movie. And she was, she was horrified to think that, you know, she had signed on to make a movie with an incompetent director. Which turns out it wasn't the case because, you know, that was the first thing they were filming. Because this would go on and play throughout the movie. Um, different televisions and whatnot. Like a lot of, apparently Old, old City of Detroit loves this guy. Um... Because, yeah, he'll buy that for a dollar. I'd buy that for a dollar. <laughs> and speaking of that line, it came from uh, Cyril M. Kornbluth, whose short story, The uh, the Marching Morons, was, uh, was around. It presented a similarly cynical view of an over-commercialized future that's desensitized to violence and war. A radio show host in that short story uses the line, I'd buy that for a quarter, as its, as its signature phrase. So, I thought that was pretty neat. Yeah, I always uh, appreciated the, I'd buy that for a dollar. Just it, Not because necessarily the way the guy delivers it. Um, right. The, I don't know the actor's name, but the the way the actor delivers it, it's just the way the people react to it because they act like it's the fucking most hilarious thing ever when it's just that line with him or with some girls around him. That old and, man's about to have a fucking heart attack laughing so hard next to his wife at the convenience store. I'm like, I'm glad she's okay with him laughing at this shit, but does she know what he's watching? Yeah, and I, I just always appreciated it because, like like you were just talking about the short story, it just brings into the thing, like just entertainment is so commercialized and dumbed down that a silly line like that causes people to just lose their shit. And it's just add something else to the movie. Just like these little things sprinkled in, just make it so good. And lose their shit. They do. Um, yeah. So the, uh, after the convenience store, uh, robbery or, lack thereof, we get this rape attempt with Robocop getting out and basically shooting the dude, Shoot blowing his dick. dick off, just shot his, <laughs> fucking blew his dick off, basically, and uh, rescued her, and then when she goes to, like, you know, hug him and thank him and all that, he's like, ma'am, you're going into shock, I will alert the authorities for you, um, <laughs> So for the attempted rape scene, where uh, Ed Newmeyer originally had Robocop shoot past the, che- the, the, the the woman's cheek, hitting and killing the rapist while getting ready to shoot the scene as scripted, Paul Verhoeven noticed that Donna, Craig Kagan's, Donna Keegan's legs were spread apart, giving him the idea to have Robocop shoot between her legs and hit the rapist in the genitals. All that Paul Verhoeven thinking with his dick and not his actual head. Gotta love it. Um, so then, I mean, there's, there's enough going on in his first night on the streets that you can pretty much consider this like a, a mini montage of sorts. Because after that happens, uh, that we just talked about, we cut to a hostage situation um, with the, the, the former city councilman 
has taken the entire place hostage. He says, first, don't fuck with me. I'm a desperate man. Second, I want some fresh coffee. His fucking demands are, I love it. I want a fresh cup of coffee. Never mind the actual hostage situation going on right now that I've started myself. I want coffee. Um, and I want a recount. Because apparently this is all about the, the votes. And no matter what, no matter how it turns out, I want my old job back. And I'm sure that everyone there is just going to embrace them coming back. Arms wide open. Welcome back. Like, no, dude. Um, this is not. And I want a bigger office. And I want a new car. And I want the city to pay for it all. And he says, the line that um, you missed in there was something with really shitty gas mileage. That's I love I was, that I was, that's a demand. That was the next one. That's what he says. He says, I want reclining leather seats that goes really fast and gets really shitty gas mileage. And then he wants something that has cruise control. That's that's the fucking sell right there. That's the sale. Give me cruise control, baby. scene here as Robocop is walking up his vision goes to like infrared heat vision mode basically and how they executed this was everyone in this scene had this stripped down nude and he would uh, use fluorescent body paint on them with in a black light Verhoeven says that he bought. He thought this technique would be cheaper than getting an actual infrared uh, spectrometer camera. The hostage scene where a former council member holds the mayor and his staff hostage was filmed on a real. I'm sorry, was based on a real life situation, um, a real life crisis. Would you? where former San Francisco supervisor Dan White wanted his old job back. The character is also seen eating Baby Ruth candy bars, which is an homage to White's 
79 conviction of involuntary manslaughter where diminished capacity was used, known in legal terms as the Twinkie defense. I thought that was a funny note. Um, so then we get another news brief featuring Ed Morton claiming, or I'm sorry, Bob Morton claiming that they're going to rid Detroit of its crime within 40 days. I like how he has a little time stamp too. Or uh, yeah, he gives himself a, a due date, 40 days. So then we get Bob enjoying his new OCP perks, including urinals that tell you what the current stock market numbers are, restroom scene involving Dick Jones here. Everyone is scrambling to get out of the bathroom because they overhear um, Bob and his buddy in the urinals using the <laughs> bathroom, just talking shit. I love it. And, and everyone notices that, you know, the person with his pants down taking a shit is Ed fucking, I'm sorry, is Ed, jo- Ed yeah, Dick, Dick Jones. Jones himself. I keep on saying Ed. Dick I love Jones the one himself. guy who had, I love the one guy who's like has piss on his pants and he's like zipping himself yeah. up to get out of there. He's like, he wants no part of this Doesn't shit. even wash his hands. He's just like, piss on my pants. Don't give a fuck. I'm out of here. Um, I, You know what? I forgot to mention where this whole little rivalry between Dick and Bob was coming from because after earlier in the office after the meeting when uh, Kenny gets he, he gets put in his place and dies um, there was uh, the the scene with Bob kind of going over Dick and, and uh, um Selling the old man on yeah his RoboCop program. Yeah, Bob so. goes around him and then brings up, uh, what's it called? Security Concepts and yes. the RoboCop program. Yeah. Yes. Um, and yeah, he just fucking rips into him, tears into him, even pulls his hair back at one part of the two of them. Like, these two are just, nah, nope, nope, nope. So, back to RoboCop, who's now having nightmares, and suddenly gets up and leaves and encounters Lewis on the way out, who stops and asks if it's truly him. Are you true? Murphy, it's you. And he walks past her and heads out. Officer Lewis. 
not really what I meant. Don't you have a name? Murphy. It's you. You really don't remember me, do you? Excuse me. I have to go. Somewhere there is a crime happening. What did you talk to him about? What did you say? She gets ridiculed for more on that a little bit. So while Murphy mentions his son Jimmy by name while twirling his gun earlier in front of Lois before the, the bust, the name of Murphy's wife is never mentioned in the film. Closing credits refer to them as Murphy's wife and Murphy's son. It's not until Robocop 2 where they get the names Ellen and Jimmy Murphy. Did you know that? Yeah, well, yeah, I guess so because I don't know their names, and I know like literally every other character's name. I just no didn't know if minor. you were. I didn't know if you got the two films mixed up or not. That's all. No, because I remember in the second one, like she comes to see him and then gets upset. Like I, I remember that part in the second one. In this one, he doesn't see him. He just goes to the old house at one point. That that's all that happens, and has the flashbacks. Yeah. Um. So, during on-set production interviews, Peter Weller kept referring to his character as John Murphy, which many believe to be erroneous on his part, but in his defense, the name Alex is never once heard in the movie, never spoken, and Weller's, name, uh, Weller's character is only ever referred to by himself and others as Murphy, so it is possible that it, it was scripted as John, but changed sometime during production. The only reference seen to Alex Murphy is on the computer files, um, his face and his name. So, what are we at here? Yeah, so Bob Morton and his team are questioning the department and Lewis before he tells her that, uh, point blank, that he's not a man and has no memory. So... Oh God. Um just give me a second, Corey, sorry. Alright, forget it. Um so yeah, Morton and his team are questioning the department and Lewis. Like, oh, I said that already, never mind. Um, yeah, he says he has, he's, he, he's a cop, not a man, no memory, just leave him alone. He says that it's an OCP affair and doesn't pertain to the cops. So Lewis apologizes to Reed after they, uh, they, they, they all head out and he tells her to forget it. And the guy's a serious asshole. So then we go to the, it's it's nighttime, we got this gas station, and a meal, a meal pulls up, 
and he's filling up his bike, and he's got this gun pointed at the college kid or the, or the kid who's working yeah. behind the counter. He's, he's, yeah, he's doing his homework and shit. He's like, I'm a real good shot. <laughs> I love that. He's like got the gas and everything. He's way far away. He's like, I'm a real good shot. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, let's see. That's why he was one and done in, the, in, the, in a Marvel movie. So, yeah, the gas station, Emil. Uh, what's with this dude running around town with a fucking Uzi? <laughs> it just uh, I don't know. I think it's just the over-the-top nature of this movie. Just like everything's taken to the sixth degree. Instead of him just having like a handgun or something like that, he's got to have a right. Uzi. Alright, okay. Um, it only takes up more room. So, another central theme is the question of what humanity is and how much of Murphy is left in Robocop. And Newmeyer wanted to leave audiences asking what's left of Murphy and he described the character's journey as one of coping with his transformation. As an officer, Murphy works for a corporation that insists it owns individuals based on waivers and can do with Murphy's remains as it wishes. Even so, yeah, even so, Murphy does the right thing and lights and fights against the demands of his corporate masters. Despite his inhuman appearance, Robocop has a soul and he's just trying to get that across here. Uh, and uh, I don't know if we're done with the gas station scene, but obviously, um, you know, the gas station blows up and like this is the explosion that actually got the production in trouble just because it happened in Dallas and it was so fucking massive. It was like way bigger than it was supposed to be. <laughs> and I think that like the cops actually came and the fire department uh, because the building caught on fire and then they got in trouble. And I think it actually caused uh, Texas and Dallas to rewrite some of their laws on uh, filming there because of mm. you know, because of RoboCop essentially and the explosion. So yeah, in regards to the lit cigarette starting that 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 is the culprit behind this massive fucking massive gas station explosion. Um, yeah, lit cigarette, gasoline. That's not quite how that works, but I'll go with it anyway. Um. And yeah, Robocop finds him, eventually get, catches up to him after he shoots his bike and he crashes and he gets over to him and like, he's basically just like, oh, I'm too tired and fucked up to fight you, just arrest me. So he does and Robocop then heads uh, back at the office. He's heading down the Hall of Records, avoiding Rick Moranis at all costs. Then the server that he connects to, uh, it confirms Emil's identity and his known accomplices, which is Boddicker's team who killed him, and they're all wanted for his murder. And, yeah. Um, this is when you see the big spike, right? When he uses the big spike in his hand to yeah, uh, interface the big, with a computer. The big spike with the, uh, the, fake, the fake mechanical hand. Um... So then we see Robocop go into 548 Primrose Lane, which is the, well, it's both his previous home and also the future of real estate, apparently, because he goes in and this robotic 
tour guide is just <laughs> as soon as you walk in, hey there, put your shoes down, let's begin the tour, shall we? Gonna take you around, guide you all around. So then we leave here after um he punches out the screen on his way out and we get this nightclub scene. Holy shit. Robocop shows up. He's in full blown arrest mode. He's after Leon Nash, which is the uh the um, what's his name? Rob shit. We just, we're just Ray talking Wise. about him. Thank you, Ray. Ray Wise is his character. Um and Ray Wise, he finds Ray and they kinda get into a little tussle where like he <laughs> kinda like I kicks him in between part. the legs. And as soon as he kicks him in between the legs, blinking you miss it, you see director Paul Verhoeven appear right in front of you doing this weird like dance and he's screaming at the camera and it's fucking weird as shit but it's only it lasts a split second like I said blinking you miss it but no I I like this scene too just because of Ray Wise like it's just like the little bit of the like physical acting but also like he has the gun Robocop knocks it out and it goes to like somebody else dancing and they start dancing with the gun I fucking love that like it is just hilarious (laughs) <laughs> Jesus um yeah Verhoeven never intended on being in the scene he was simply trying to rile up the extras and the dancing with more energy and the the cameraman picked them up that's all it was so yeah. he, he, he was surprised that the editors had pulled a joke on him by managing to slip in the brief shot of him and uh went with it so also, on the 20th anniversary disc, Peter Weller stated that the scariest moment came when he had to film the scene where he walked down the stairs in the dance club. This consisted of him only wearing the upper portion of the costume, but, but having to walk down the stairs without being allowed to look where he was stepping. Couldn't bend his legs, I think. Uh, but yeah, that's the main one. Just can't step. Um, and he said the situation became very dangerous as loud music is being played and smoke was everywhere. He ended up doing this sequence three times. So. Yeah, I can I can see it being dangerous. He's got the whole getup on like he can barely fucking see out of that visor, firstly, and then secondly, he can't even look down anyway. So yeah, I can imagine what that's like going down like a strange set of stairs that you've never seen. Like, yeah, you might be able to do that in your house, but in a random set? That's got to be tough. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, yeah, and then we cut to uh, Bob and his little party with the ladies. They're doing a little. They're, they're doing. They're doing some skiing. You know, they're they're riding the slopes. If you know what I mean. And uh, yeah. Clarence Boddicker crashes that motherfucker. <laughs> Bitches leave. Yeah, a good old you know, meme. I love how the one woman is leaving and she stops real quick and she's like, you gotta call me, right, Bob? <laughs> it's like, uh, dude's got a gun to his face. I don't think anyone's calling anyone tomorrow. Uh, yeah, and it just plays a video for Bob that's made by Dick Jones and he basically says, I'm here to personally cancel you out out and so yeah that's that's fucking what what happens 
Um, That's the end of Bob. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This was actually the first, not, not, this wasn't the first time that Kurtwood Smith has killed uh, Miguel Ferrer in, in a film. First time was in ni- 1984's Flashpoint. That's, uh, yeah. Hmm. Never seen Didn't it, so that. I can't comment on it. So then we have the cocaine lab scene featuring Nate Debrah from Pumpkinhead, Lee Debrah from Pumpkinhead. Uh, he played Ed Harley's uh, father in the opening scene. Uh, he's the, the 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 kingpin here. Actually, kind of resembles kingpin, uh, although he's wearing this hideous red flannel shirt and. I don't, I don't know who's worse with this glass of red wine. I don't know if it's him or Clarence. Because when they're talking together, Clarence, I see him like at least two or three times. Like, not Clarence, uh, uh, Alex. He like dips his fingers in it, in, in the wine. No, yeah, yeah, Clarence, I was the first time. Clarence like dips his fingers and shit like in the wine as he's talking. It's really weird. Um... And yeah, they're, they're kind of going back and forth and the fucking door starts banging off the hinges almost and it just finally comes crashing down. Big ass thick steel door too. We ain't talking about your grandma's fucking folding brown wooden door. Like, no, this thing's massive. And he knocks it down um, and yeah, starts shooting the place up. Uh, just does so big old shootout scene and it's funny too because Peter Weller said that this was his favorite memory of the film filming this scene because he was actually inside the suit listening to Peter Gabriel's song Red Rain on his Walkman during the sequence (laughs) I just see Peter Weller just like jamming out the Peter fucking Gabriel doing these weird hand movements shooting firing away and all you ever yeah. notice that he does that in this movie? In this movie only, he like puts his hand out before he fires, holds his hand the other way as he fires out. Like it's really weird the things he does with his hands in this movie. Yeah, it it's odd, but I mean, it works. Like in this whole scene, like he's shooting, like he's not even looking at what he's shooting at half the time. Like most of the time, he's looking forward, and then all of a sudden, his gun just like gets pointed out to the side, and he just fucking takes out somebody, and then he yep. like switches it over to his other side and takes out somebody. It's just the way he moves, right. uh, his head and arms is just fantastic in this scene. I mean, it looks like a robot to me, but of course, I could be wrong. Oh yeah, speaking of, the shootout at the cocaine factory here was not originally intended to be so fast-paced. The automatic guns used in the scene were malfunctioning during filming, so most camera shots most camera shots didn't even provide more than 3 seconds average of of unusable of, of usable footage, and because most guns were usually jammed by that time, um yeah, that's what happens. So these uh necessitated quick cuts during editing, which proved to be advantageous for the scene. Kerwood Smith claims in the 20th... Yeah, the, 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 the 20th anniversary DVD that the scene where he's taken into custody, that's actually the first scene that he had shot and proposed the spitting on the blood, swearing, give me my fucking phone call. Um, that was all like in his head. And Verhoeven, intrigued, decided to give it a shot, and uh, he kept it. So, real quick, one more note about the RoboCop suit. 
it's in my notes here, that um, the suit was so hot and heavy that he was losing three pounds a day from water loss. And eventually, they had to build an air conditioner inside the actual machine for Peter Weller. Yeah, um, I mean, they're filming in summer in Dallas. And I've been to Texas. It's fucking hot as hell. If you've never been there, the humidity is off the charts there. So, yeah, I can't imagine how he was able to stand being in that suit. Because right. I could barely, I could barely walk around Texas when I was wearing shorts and a t-shirt. Jesus, what's that? Let me adjust my mic again. Also in the shootout scene, I like when Robocop first walks in and he's basically like, drop what you're doing, everybody give up. And then uh, I think his name's Min, the character, one of Bodiger's gang. He dies in this scene. The um, Asian guy. I think his name's Min in the movie or something like that. Steve Min. Yeah. He's just like, fuck you. And then they all just start shooting him. I just love that. Just the fuck you because I think that I, I don't know if that's his only line in the movie but it's one of his only lines if it I is. think it is because he doesn't have much to say about anything he's just kind of like a silent partner <laughs> basically alright so yeah he dies in this scene um, and so does uh, just everyone except for Boddicker who Wishes he was dead because he just gets thrown the fuck around. Just beat up, shit kicked, and he's, of course, confessing the entire time that he works for Dick Jones. And Dick, Dick, Dick Jones <laughs> is the number two at OCP Dick and all that. Dick Jones! <laughs> That's what he's like the whole time. Dick Jones! Like, yeah, he he's him getting up pretty thrown quick. through windows. I love it. He's like, no! Dick Jones! Crash. Clarence Bodiger, you are under arrest. You have the right to remain silent. Fuck you. Hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute! I'm protected, man. I've got protection. You have the right to an attorney. What is this shit? God damn it. God damn it! Listen to me! Listen to me, you fuck! There's another guy! He's a he's OCP, he's the senior president! Anything you say may be used against you. It's Dick Jones! Don't you get him? You cocksucker! I work for Dick Jones! Dick Jones! He's the number two guy at OCP! OCP runs the cops! You're a cop! Cop! Yes. I, am a I just like it because at first he's all cocky because he's like, ah, just take me in. And then yeah. cop's like, fuck you, motherfucker. I'm going to throw you through all these windows. It's like, remember my fucking hand? Yeah. Well, this is payback, motherfucker. Um. So then after this, he goes to OCP to arrest Dick Jones, who turns the tables after the fourth prime directive's been revealed. Swerve 
observe any attempt to arrest a senior officer of OCP results in shutdown. It's kind of a mislike they put that there intentionally because, uh, you know, you just never know. Still a little fight, did you? Maybe you'd like to meet a friend of mine. I had to kill Bob Morton because he made a mistake. Now it's time to erase that mistake. Although it is so ridiculous because like, so if Robocop doesn't know he works for OCP, he can arrest him, I guess. Like how, how is that even enforceable? I I don't know. It's just one of like, this whole movie's ridiculous, but that's just one thing that always stood out to me. I'm like, how, how could he possibly, I guess he has personnel files. I don't know. I guess you have to be on his personnel file and he can't arrest you if you're showing up as OCP, but it's just kind of silly to (laughs) me, this whole thing. Like when you really think about it, like, Oh, Absolutely. I, like, I especially more, especially at the end when he's like, you know, we'll get into the end, but especially at the end. But, you know, it, it, it serves its purpose. But, yeah, it's a little silly when you think about it. Yeah. It is very. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Dad, Robocop versus Ed 209 and the police force before Lewis helps Robocop escape. But before that. Let's get back to Ed and Robocop. And basically fights him, blasts him away, shoots him. He's about to, uh, this is the only time in the entire series where, like, he's intentionally going for the eye. Because you see him, like, try to, like, use that. Wait, I'm thinking of Robocop, too. Whoops, wrong movie. Um, no, I was right. He tries. To sh- he goes to blow blow his. I was no. I am thinking about the. I am thinking about the right movie. He he puts the arm cannon like right in front of his face, and like, Robocop's able to like push it away, and then he accidentally shoots himself. That's what happens. Um, when he knocks it away, he blows the other cannon off. So now he only has one, and then it ends. Basically, Robocop makes it to the stairwell, and he's going down the stairs. But Ed 209 can't. And he's like kind of testing the waters a little bit. You see him like kind of te- <laughs> throw his leg out a little bit to see if he can catch himself. But then like it is clearly like, you know, this stop motion going on. Because this is again the 80s. And uh, stop motion Phil, is like everything. Yeah, Phil Tippett. Phil yes, Tippett, exactly. Yeah. Thank you. And um, yeah, it, 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 it goes from that. And then when you see the Ed 209 thing roll down the steps, it's like an actual machine. So they what they did for this was they built um, a, a, a large... They used models, basically. Yeah, they, they rebuilt the, the model. Set. Yeah, yeah like a mini version set. of it. With, and, and they rolled, rolled it, down a figure. Or a model, rolled it I mean. down. Yeah, and it's just... It's just so hilarious because, like, Ed 209, you can clearly tell, like, this thing is not meant for to be used in the city. Like, it's meant to be used in, like, a battlefield. Like, not in the city. Like, you can't even go downstairs. Like, imagine being in a city and the thing can't go downstairs. Like, any criminal is just gonna be like, fuck, he's chasing me. Get to the stairs. Like, not that's only all you that, have to do. Not only that, but we noticed, because it's the second time he's, you know, 
had him come out, but he keeps him up there in his office. Like, he's up there forever. Like, it's almost like they built him up there, and he can't be taken out. So what happens after, like, OCP, like, goes under? It's like, Dick Jones, if he didn't get killed at the end, spoiler alert, if he got, like, laid off or something eventually, and it's like, uh, now what are you gonna do about this Ed 209 machine? You got this has gotta go with you too, sir. Sorry, those are the rules. We can't, we expect us to do, keep this fucking hunk of metal around here? No, get rid of it. It goes with you. So, um, and yeah, this is, uh, first big fight. I love this fight. Uh, can you tell me, Corey, how many RoboCop suits were used throughout the film? I'm not sure, but I know they had to recycle a lot because it, it, they took a lot of wear, like, you know, as they were using them. But I'm not sure. But I would imagine it would have to be a pretty high number, like 10, 15. 10, 15. No, not quite. Seven. Seven. Okay. Yeah, I knew. I figured it had to be something because I I remember like seeing the behind the scenes and they basically had to like recycle parts constantly because stuff would just get worn when Peter Weller would wear it, you know. So right. I knew they were constantly changing out parts. Yeah. Sucks. So. He's in the parking garage, going to the parking garage with all the yeah. Uh, police basically, floors. he just he's just rolling down different floors, avoiding all the gunfire, because everyone's just he thinks he escaped dead to a nine. He gets outside. Nope, the entire police force there, and they have their guns pointed at you, and it makes for just some craziness. So, um. Yeah, another two years were used excessively during the third act of the movie where the RoboCop gets damaged from the Ed 209 and the Detroit Police Department. There was no one suit, as most people would think, but actually more than one, each fragile and easily destroyed during filming. Um, oh, there we go. So then we get another commercial for the 6000 SUX. These are the four Taurus looking cars that everyone is seemingly driving throughout this movie. They're Mustangs. Yeah. They're Mustangs cussied up. Ford Mustangs at the time. Yeah, they just made them look like that. The SUXs. Which I fucking love. The the whole marketing campaign is they get shitty gas mileage. I love that. An American tradition. And it has the fucking dinosaur. I love the commercial. So the police cars were modified for Tauruses. One of the main competitors of the Taurus at the time was, in fact, the Pontiac 6000. So the car that the villains use, plus the one that we just saw the commercial for, is the 6000 SUX, a not-so-subtle jab at the Pontiac 6000. So that's where that, that's how that plays into this. So angered by OCP's underfunding and short-staffed, uh, or, or short-staffing, rather, the police force go to strike. At as of midnight, they go. They're going on strike, and Detroit descends into chaos as we see riots breaking out throughout the city. Jones frees Boddicker and his man and his remaining gang from from jail, but tells them that they're gonna have to kill it, even though OCP built it. He says, "Delta City construction starts in two months, and with." 
2 million virgin workers who can easily be introduced to drugs and prostitution and such by Clarence and his gang. Um, One second. So, uh, la, 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 la. so Robocops escapes. So, yeah, Ian Lewis uh, gets Robocop and they get the fuck out of there. She takes him to the uh, steel mill from earlier where he was killed. And we will return there momentarily. But in the meantime, let's cut back to Clarence, who's now free, and he walks into. OCP's office, uh, more importantly, Dick Jones up there where uh, a little fight broke out the night before. So, as you can imagine, the entire place is under construction. It's in shambles. It looks like shit. Uh, the receptionist, though, is the real-life future fiancé or future wife of Kurtwood Smith. Yeah. So, yeah, she has a small role as Dick Jones' secretary, Barbara we floats with before the meeting. So then Lewis brings Robocop supplies to the the mill. She said that uh the place was deserted and half the force didn't even show up to that to uh, to that day. Making it easier I don't know. Let's comment on the food though. So the organic looking food paste that she brings to him that's actually I think it's uh I think Johnson is trying it out earlier and is like, yeah. it's like baby food. I know. <laughs> but what it really is, is uh, it's uh, made up of parsnip, tomato, t- tomato puree, and crushed Butterfinger bars. Why not just use baby food? The thing yeah. it tastes like and resembles? That's one of those things. I have no idea why anybody thought it was a good idea to like make something of their own when you have literally baby food you can go to the store and buy. I have no idea why they did that. Or even like applesauce. Like fucking anything mushy like that could work, really. Applesauce, bitch. <laughs> uh let's go. Let's see what we got here. So yeah, Robocop. He adjusts his aim, and, uh, well, first off, let's talk about what she brings back. She brings back the food, she brings back a drill bit, and she brings back his gun, right? Yeah, yeah, that's it, because then he starts taking his helmet off, and you see those fucking long-ass screws coming out of his head. Yeah, exactly. The, uh, it's the first time we see him without the mask on, and it's also going to be what he looks like for the rest of the movie because he's not going to put it back on until the very last scene. No, not even not even the last scene he has it off. So, this is it. No more Robocop mask after this part. Um, so, yeah, like I said, uh, the, the, the gang's getting ready to fight. They're taking their big-ass assault weapons and blowing up each other's cars on the street. Uh, and then, the yeah, Boddicker and his men arrive after RoboCop adjusts his uh, aim correctly, and um, 
yeah, it doesn't take long for things to kick off. Um, but it's basically... Again, this is just... This is... I want to see here. Alright, so the guys come. And uh, Robocop first kills Joe. And he shoots him like four or five times in the chest with that triple firing gun that he has, that cannon. And then uh, not long after that is when Emil, di- Emil dies, who uh, gets a batch of uh, some tasty toxic waste <laughs> pour all over him. And we get this iconic death scene. Him is just like, he's just like, oh, help me, you know, and uh, fucking... We first see Leon encounters him, and he's like, get away, and, like, runs off and shit, and he's just like, help, and finally gets ran over and, like, explodes across, because Clarence hits him. Clarence drives by and just runs him over, and he just completely just turns into, explodes into a puddle of toxic waste, or what's left over. It's This nasty. is one of my, this is one of my all-time favorite deaths, like, in any movie. Uh, yeah, this is one of my same. all-time favorites. And this is what I was talking about earlier. Originally, the MPAA wanted to cut this part. They wanted yes. to cut the whole getting hit and exploding. But apparently, the audiences loved it so much that the studio just fought and fought until they finally allowed it to stay in with an R uh, rating. Because it was just such... I mean, Rob Boutine outdid himself with that. Yeah, like, the makeup yeah. and everything. It just looks so good. Like, Because uh, I... Th- like, didn't Boutine work on, like, it was called, like, The Amazing Melting Man or something like that, like, yep. 10 years earlier, and that's where kind of this makeup came from? Yeah, and The Thing is what essentially landed him the job. Was his work on Carpenter's The Thing. Um, so then the shootout is taken to a large landfill where Leon Nash drops a load of steel on top of Robocop, trapping him. But Lewis, always there, helping out her boy, Kills Leon with one of the big ass guns, and then kills, and then Robocop kills Clarence with that spike that he had earlier. Pops out and he jabs it into his throat. Lewis is on the verge of death. They'll fix you. They fix everyone. Um, yeah. Tells her. And, and I just. Cord- what's up? No, I was just gonna say like the fucking end scene here is like brutal because fucking Lewis is shot in the chest. She's like laying in the water. Yeah. Which apparently, like, was she's terrible. Tired. Yeah, she's just tired, but apparently it was, like, terrible for her, because, like, she's laying in this water while they're shooting, and, like, Nancy Allen's just, like, fucking freezing the whole time, but she wanted to do it authentically. Like, she didn't want to wear something underneath and make it look, like, wrong. Like, she didn't want to make it look inauthentic, so she was right. laying in this cold water this whole time. And then... You know, you have Robocop there, like, he's pinned down by all this shit, and, like, Bodiger is just beating the fuck at him with his bar, and it's just, like, so crazy, like, the the fact that Robocop's got his helmet off, like, he just feels so huge, like, you just feel for him so much in this scene, like, when he's getting beat down, uh, you know, it's just amazing how, like, he's made the transition in the past hour from, you know, this robot to this guy we like essentially yeah so according to Paul Verhoeven's commentary on the Criterion Collection DVD an additional scene I'm sorry 
an additional media break segment was filmed and completed for the film. Most most notably, it featured footage of Lewis hospitalized and recovering, assuring the audience that she did not die, nor would become Bride of Robocop, as many speculated. (laughs) I would, I I know it would be a stupid movie, but I would fucking watch that movie. I'd buy that for a dollar. Bride of Robocop. Oh, God, yeah. I'd buy that shit for fucking five dollars. Hell yeah. Um, so then we go back to OCP headquarters, back up at this office room, 95th floor. Robocop takes out the uh, Ed 209 downstairs guarding the tower before making his way up to the top floor where this finale slash meeting's taking place. And uh, he comes up and he has evidence of Dick Jones uh, just being into some shady shit. And he plays a tape of uh, that his recording about killing Bob Morton because he made a mistake and I had to erase that mistake over and over until uh, he gets a gun and he, he takes the old man hostage but then the old man gets a one-up on him by, t- by saying to him, Dick, you are fired which means prime detective number or prime directive number four is obsolete. He kneels him in the balls gets out of the way Allowing Robocop to just fucking shoot, shoot until he goes out the window and his dummy, not him, Ronnie Cox's fake ass dummy falls and falls. Aggressive attitude. How can we help you, officer? Dick Jones is wanted for murder. This is absurd. That is a violent mechanical psychopath. My program will not allow me to act against an officer of this company. These are serious charges. What is your evidence? I had to kill Bob Morton because he made a mistake. Now it's time to erase that mistake. I had to kill Bob Morton because he made a mistake. Now it's time to erase that mistake. I want a chopper, now! We will walk to the roof very calmly. I will board the chopper with my hostage. Anybody tries to stop me? The old geezer gets it. Dick? You're fired! Thank you. Death perception. It's a, it's a wonderful thing, but the way they filmed that is just so cheap, but it works. And I wish, you know, they had someone else that, you know, flew down and not. I don't know. Um. So then we get the, the, you know, nice shooting son, what's your name, Murphy, and uh, yeah, that's it. Talk about an abrupt ending, but it it fits for this movie. That is RoboCop from 1987. What were we going to say, Gore? One of my favorite endings, like when he says Murphy, you're just like, fuck yeah. Like, it just gets me pumped every time, even though I know it's coming. Uh, Just such a great way to end the film. You know, it's so funny about that. so awesome. 
it's funny because when RoboCop 2 starts, he's going about to call himself RoboCop and he's confused about what he is and shit. Like, the, like none of this, it's almost like this whole final scene didn't happen once we get to RoboCop 2 because he's back to uh, looking for himself and, you know, not... In fact, he, he takes it a step further. He actually starts, like, stalking his ex-wife and shit. It's it's pretty crazy. We'll, we'll get to that episode, or we'll get to that movie, you know, sooner than later. But, yeah, I can't wait to talk about RoboCop 2. In the meantime, let's move on to our categories here, since we're done talking about the plot for RoboCop, the original. And let's talk box office receipts. In the operational funds box... We will deposit 250,000 American dollars. You take it out. We put more in. I want receipts. All right. So the film was released on July 17th, 1987 from Orion Pictures. It opened up across 1,580 screens. Coming in at number one, $8 million opening weekend. Second weekend, it dropped 20% down to $6.3 million, still holding that number one spot. Total gross would be $53.4 million against a budget of 13.7. So it was a break-even kind of thing. Uh, I think the problem yeah, I'd with- say it's a hit. I mean, even with uh, even with advertising, I mean, I think this was a success for Orion. I mean, I think it was a big hit. Wait a minute. I don't know. Back up. I apologize. I have no fucking clue why I said break even. I was <laughs> thinking of something else, I guess. I have no clue, so scratch that. But yeah, I mean, look, it 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 made a modest profit. Let's call it that, a modest profit. Nothing groundbreaking. Like, do you think a movie this caliber would have cleared like a hundred to two hundred million dollars at the end of the day? But nah, fifty, half half yeah, uh, fifty three million. It's good. It's good. It's modest. For 87, it's good. Um, so, yeah. Let's take a walk over to the Critics Corner and see what they had to say about the movie. So RoboCop's got a Rotten Tomatoes score of 90% based off of 72 reviews, with the critical consensus saying, while over the top and gory, RoboCop is also a surprisingly smart sci-fi flick that uses ultraviolence to to disguise its satire of American culture. Currently has a meta score of 67 out of 100 based on 16 reviews, a cinema score of A-, uh, Ebes gave it 3 out of 4 stars, saying most thriller and special effects movies come right off the assembly line. Robocop is a thriller with a difference. The violence was so excessive for Ebert and the LA Times that it became deliberately comical, with Ebert writing that Ed 209 killing an executive subver- subverted audience expectations of a seemingly serious and straightforward sci-fi film. The LA Times believed the violent scene succeeded in creating experiences in sadism and uh, poignancy simultaneously. simultaneously. 
Scott Weinberg gave the film a perfect 5 out of 5 rating and said it was smart, satirical, and vicious. This is easily one of the finest sci-fi flicks of the 80s. James Berardinelli gave it 3.5 out of 4. Says a sci-fi action film with a silly title that turned out to be a biting satire of big business practices. Fred Topple says, RoboCop will always be a vital story, whether a corporation brings us back from the dead with cybernetic technology or just sells our social media or just sells our social media activity to their clients. They cannot own who we are. And then uh, let's see. Yeah, some reviewers appreciated the film's adaptation of a classic narrative about a tragic hero seeking revenge and redemption with the LA Times writing that the typical cliche revenge story is transformed by making the protagonist a machine that keeps succumbing to humanity, emotion, and idealism. The LA Times and Philadelphia Inquirer considered RoboCop's victory to be satisfying because it offered a fable about a decent hero fighting back against corruption, villains, and the theft of his humanity with morality and technology on his side. Um, yeah, before we move on, just wanted to talk about the uh, accolades and list them real quick. Uh, at the Academy Awards that year, it was nominated for Best Film Editing and Best Sound, and it won for Best Sound Editing. And that was uh, Stephen Flick and John Pospilis... Whoa. Pospisil. Yeah, whatever. They both got the award. Um, and at the British Academy Awards, it was nominated for Best Hair and Makeup, Best Special Effects, and yeah, that's it. At the, uh, Saturn Awards, it was the most nominated film of that year. It won Best Sci-Fi Film, Best Director, Best Writing, Best Makeup, and Best Special Effects, where it was also nominated for Best Actor, Peter Weller, Best Actress, Nancy Allen. And another unknown nominee, but I couldn't find it. So um, yeah. how did how did they not get nominated for an Academy Award for the special effects in this movie? I want to know that. Like, unless I missed that, were they nominated? Didn't have it. Didn't have they? Uh, didn't no. Uh, no, it didn't. They did not have that special. Of, yeah, they did. Because eighty one was the first year. Because uh, Rick Baker took the award for uh, American Royal from London. I was going to say, 87. I mean, we're not talking 70s uh, here. I don't know. I really don't. That's a good question, Corey. I never thought about that before. Um, I don't know what movie they were looking at. The movie still looks fucking good today. Oh even God. in, like, fucking Blu-ray so high def. So good. Um, Especially with this 4K and the HDR that I watched it on. Looks fucking amazing. Uh, so let's move on. Pros and cons. Before I take on any job, I look at it the same way as it takes to make the thing positive versus negative. Now, you mix a little bit of this with a little bit of that, and you get a reaction. Real quick, I have no cons. Just going to throw that out there right now. No cons. Me neither. <laughs> My pros, I have four I wrote down. Solid pacing, uh, ace humor, standout performances all around, and it features the perfect kind of cheesy. No, features the perfect. The features the perfect kind of corny '80s cheese. Yeah, that's what I meant to say. 
Uh, how about you? What are your pros? So, yeah, I have many pros. Uh, first is the satire. Uh, I think that's what really takes this movie up to another level. If you take out the just hidden meanings and satire, it would still be a solid sci-fi action type movie. But right. I don't think it would be one that would be in my top five favorite movies. I don't think it would be one we would be talking about maybe right now, at least not in this capacity. So just the satire. And I think part of the reason it really works is Verhoeven as a director. I mean, he's a Dutch guy. Like he had only done one American movie before this. So I think having his take on American culture is really what made this movie so great. Uh, you know, some of the satire I'm sure was written in by Minor Neumeyer, but I think Verhoeven's vision, just being as an outsider uh, from the Netherlands, just his vision of America, just so over the top, so ridiculous, just made this movie so great and so hilarious and so rewatchable because yeah, I can't tell you how many times in the past I rewatched this movie and caught something else that made me laugh or uh, that just stood out to me. So that would be my number one is a satire. Um, my next pro is definitely the special effects. I mean, the suit looks fucking great. I mean, it looks 100% believable as a robot. Uh, you know, it looks straight out of the future. Like it, it's not big and bulky. Like it actually looks like a person as a robot, as opposed to a lot of the other shit you would see. Uh, and it's just so well designed. It's just so sleek. So awesome. Love the gun that comes out of the leg. Love that whole cutaway. Every time the gun comes out of the leg, just so awesome. Uh, so, and then the rest of the effects, like the ed 209. Um, I just love Phil Tippett. Uh, what he did with the Ed 209 character. Cause he really made the character because Ed 209, other than that big standing prop that you see is all stop motion. So it's really tip it. And like just the little fan when the Ed 209 gets fucking blown up by RoboCop outside of the tower, just a little fan sputtering and then fucking Ed 209 just tips over. Like it's drunk, <laughs> just yeah. hilarious. Like fucking makes me laugh every time. So the special effects in this movie hold up to this day. Like they are still great. Right. Um, my next pro is the cast. Excellent cast, top to bottom. Everybody does a great job. I mean, it's tough for me to narrow anything down, but Kurtwood Smith as Bodiger, like you said, has so many one-liners. Is so funny, but so mm. despicable. Right. Um, Ronnie Cox is just a fucking scumbag. I mean, he's not in the movie a ton, but I love every scene. Like one of my favorite scenes of the movie is the bathroom scene of all things, just because like he grabs fucking Miguel Ferrer's hair and he's just like, you just fucked with the wrong guy. Like I just fucking <laughs> love his delivery right there. Like Roddy Cox is so awesome. Uh, Nancy Allen. Great. And, um, you know, Peter Weller, I'll get into later. Um, but yeah, the cast is just excellent. And then my last pro I wanted to mention is the score. Actually, I love the RoboCop theme. I will just literally hum it to myself randomly. Not even after like I've watched the movie or necessarily was I even thinking about the movie. It's just one of those I'll just start humming to myself the <laughs> just fucking always stuck in my head. Just love that oh, theme. Yeah. One of the greatest uh 80s themes uh I think there that's out there. Um, so yeah, those are my pros. And, uh, as you said, I have no cons there. There's nothing at all. I can point out in this movie. I think it's a perfect movie. Yeah. Me too. All right. Mulligan moment. If you had to do it all over again, 
Would you make the same choices? Look, leave it the hell alone. It's perfect in its own right. Like I said, Verhoeven nailed it in regards to this film. Everything just did it right. Bravo, sir. Well played. Move on. No Mulligan moment for me. I'm leaving it as is. I would not change a thing about this movie. It is perfect in its own little way. Uh, Corey, I believe you said the same thing. No Mulligan moment for you either. Yeah, nope. Wouldn't change a thing. Leave the movie like it is. All right, perfect. Let's move on then to Finger Licking Good. <laughs> Finger Licking Good. And for me, it is the famous Robocop versus Ed 209 scene at OCP. Yeah, so my Finger Licking Good, it's tough for me because I love this whole movie. So even as brutal as it is, I love the scene where Murphy gets shot up. Like the fucking puppet that Boutine made of, yeah. uh, you know, Peter Weller, Alex Murphy, when he gets his head shot and his fucking whole head blows out of his back. That's fucking awesome. Yeah. So as brutal as it is, I think it's necessary. So you feel sympathetic for the guy. But uh, I didn't pick that. The other one that stands out is, the like I said a few minutes ago, the bathroom scene. I just love the bathroom scene. Just the middle management hypocrisy and uh, bullshit that's happening and then just Ronnie Cox owns it. But I have to go with a small moment. When I think back to this movie, it's my favorite moment. It's probably my favorite ending of any movie. What he says, nice shooting son. And then, you know, obviously Robocop says names Murphy. Just fucking love that ending. Like that has to be my finger looking good moment. One of probably my favorite ending of any movie. It just fucking ends it on a high note. Yeah. I just love that part. Nice. I remember when I was younger, I would always rewatch the ending and not so much because I wanted to see Dick Jones get shot that, that's and knocked awesome, out of dude, the window. Seriously. Yeah, like, you know, I like all that stuff that happens in the lead up and I like mm-hmm. the final battle at the, you know, big steel mill plant. That's all good and brutal too. And it has good stuff, but yeah, just the ending. Finger looking good. It's got to be Murphy. Just... Such a little touch, but just such a, like, you feel like he's completed his journey at that point. Obviously, it ends up being bullshit, because in the second one, like you said, it's back to status quo. Right. But, for this movie, fucking ends on a perfect note. Alright. Movie MVPs. Alright, now, you might think I'm a little biased, but I take my job as a presenter very seriously. I will show no favoritism. I am here to honor excellence. The most valuable player is... Alright, my MVP, Peter Weller. Come on. Especially for all that he endured with the role, nailing the mechanicals of the movement. Because that's him acting like a robot underneath the armor. You know, that's... Everything he does, It it, it it's for the character. And he does it so well. So good. Um, I just honestly cannot think of another actor playing this role other than Weller. Like, this was a role that he was just when I think of that man I think of this role and vice versa so without even thinking about it hands down it's Peter Weller yeah so for me it's the same it's Peter Weller uh you know two honorable mentions would be Kurt Wood Smith just because I love the Clarence Bodiger character and Ronnie Cox um as Dick Jones I fucking love both of them as the villains uh, but it has to be Peter Weller. I mean, he carries this movie. If his performance doesn't work, I don't think this movie elevates to the level it gets to. 
uh, you know, just like you said, the hell he went through of being in this suit in Texas summer. Right. Um, the work he did. I mean, he trained with a mime uh, trainer for like months. Uh, he ended up not being able to do most of the shit because once he was in the in the suit, he couldn't do most of it. Uh, but I mean, it just showed a dedication. And I mean, some people hate method actors. I respect it as long as he would, as long as the yeah, method me actors respect, as long as they respect people, that's fine. Let them do whatever the fuck gets them in that role. You know, so I respect Weller. You could definitely tell he was all in on the character. And I mean, it was just perfect casting because he's just such a slender guy. It just looks so good when he's got the suit on. Like, it just looks perfect. But just the way he moves, like, fucking not being able to look where he walks, like we brought up with the stare scene, just the way he fucking <laughs> turns, just the way when he's shooting, his arms just start moving around, but his head and everything else just stays still. Uh the way he acts with just his mouth when he's wearing the helmet in a lot of scenes, like when he's having the nightmare and shit like that. I mean, he sells it. Like I absolutely believe that he's a man caught in a fucking machine. And yeah, Peter Weller <laughs> definitely deserved uh, recognition for this role because he fucking anchors the whole movie, in my opinion. All right. Let's give out our final ratings then. Final thoughts. I say we uh, tie a bow on it and put her to bed. Five stars. I, I think I love this movie. Like I said at the top of the episode, a little bit more after watching this today. I uh, just can't get enough of it. So much that uh, Paul knocks out of the park with this movie. It starts with the casting and it goes to the writing and the directing and the effects and the decisions that were made and and some of the effects that were perfectly timed and uh, just everything. It is the textbook definition of perfection. The way it's just... Yeah, this this movie's just the best of the best, in my opinion. Um, and it'll never, ever, ever be taken down or taken away. So that's uh, mine. Five out of five. Five stars. Perfect five. How about you, Corey? What do you got for this? Nah, two and a half stars. No, fuck, fuck no. Of course, <laughs> of course, it's five stars, which uh, for me is my first time. I think I've given four, maybe four and a half, but this yeah, your, five stars. Is your first, my first five stars. This is your first perfect rating yep. on the show, so I'm proud of you. Yep, first perfect rating. <laughs> and yep, thanks. More. It takes a lot. It does. It takes a lot. Like, five stars to me is an all-time classic. Yeah. Basically a perfect movie uh, and just legendary. I think this movie will be talked about for a long time. I think it's just still poignant today with all of its different um, commentary, the satire, just with the way uh, commercialism and consumerism and, you know, just greed and um, gentrification, just all that shit just plays in so well. And that's just what makes this movie, even though it's a product of its time when you're watching it, it's still timeless. Even though you can tell it was shot in the 80s, it's still a timeless movie right. just because of those different uh, themes in it. Um, and then you add in the other shit, like with the re- it's basically a revenge movie about a robot uh, or a cyborg, I guess you would ca- call him. And then just the humanity part, like RoboCop is the most human fucking character in this movie. It's just crazy to me how good <laughs> this movie is. It's just a lean movie too. I mean, just for contrast, like, we're going to be talking about the Batman soon. Great movie. Love the movie. 
three fucking hours. You know, I just love the fact that this movie gets in, gets out, and it's fucking lean runtime. Oh, yeah. And just has so much it shit. Doesn't, it doesn't fuck in. around. No, there is not a wasted frame or a wasted thing in this movie. Um, Paul Verhoeven, I fucking love you. <laughs> One of my favorite directors. Little hit or miss here or there. Uh, but when he fucking hits, I mean, it lands. Yeah, like they're not this. all winners, but, you know, I think Justin actually went and saw his his new one recently. So, yeah, next time we get together or next feature cast or whatever, get with him and find out what he thought of it. So, all right. Well, until then, this episode has been sponsored by OCP. They say good business is where you find it. And that's going to wrap up our conversation on Paul Verhoeven's RoboCop. And as we always say, it's one down, many more to follow. Check out our ever-growing collection of previous episodes over at our website, which of course is thefilmeffectpodcast.com. And please follow us on the following social media platforms for the future announcements and up-to-the-minute news and updates. Facebook, Instagram, same thing, the Film Effect Podcast. We're on Twitter at Film Effect Pod. Check, check us out on TikTok. If you're on TikTok, we're on TikTok at Film Effect Podcast. And finally, email those, whatever you need to email us. Email us at the Film Effect Podcast at gmail.com. Um, and also, guys, it would be amazing if you would just take the few 10, 15, 20 seconds, however long it is. It's, it's definitely no more than 30 seconds out of your day when you're done listening to just go to either Apple, Spotify, or our website, www.thefilmeffectpodcast.com slash reviews, and do just that. Leave us a quick little rating review. Let's us know how we're doing. Uh, keeps us in check. It also helps us conquer that big, bad algorithm. The more you know, positive ratings that we get, the better, and you know, that, you know how this thing works. It's called an algorithm, and we'll leave it at that. Um, and yeah, it also helps if you could just, if, if you spread us, spread, spread the word, you know, tell a friend about the show. Uh, if one person listens based off of a recommendation, then, um, that would be great. If we can get <laughs> one new person in an episode, that'd be amazing. Whatever. When uh, you were saying spread, you're, I just thought of the commercial again, spread us all, spread the film effect all over you and you'll be good for hours. Like that's, that's right. just what I thought about. <laughs> spread a little bit here, a little bit there. Good to go. Uh, so yeah, uh, let's see here. Anything else? Yeah, check out our brand new episode of Fewercast this Friday where episode 100's film will be announced. I don't and it's think a big I've... one. It's a big one, guys. I'll, I'll, I'll give this as a teaser. So we just talked about RoboCop, one of my top five movies. Our 100th episode is going to be a top five movie of mine as well. So it's fucking insane to me that I'm going to be covering two of my top five favorite movies of all time within the span of a few weeks. Craziness. Yeah, it's it's a big one, guys. And I don't think I've ever promoted fewer cast before on this podcast. I think I need to fix that. So yeah, this Friday, new fewer cast. Um, We also had a episode on the Batman that was supposed to drop this week, but uh, we had a little bit of an incident last night while we were trying to record that with the gang, and let's just say it nearly broke us. So we are going to regroup and try again at a later time. Just know that we are not skipping out on doing the Batman. We are definitely doing it. We just, uh, oh yeah, 
the last night was bad or the night before was bad. So, uh, yeah, we just, you know, it's one of those things that we just all had a lot to talk about. The movie is a three hour movie. At that point, we had already been recording for, I think, what, three and, and a half hours. Late. It was like 3 a.m. And I'm like, we're only halfway through this. I no, I can't. I can't. And then that turned into me and Sean going at it. And then it just it, it just got ugly. I don't want to go into details. I already said too much. But uh, just want to let everybody, you guys know. Yeah, it's everybody coming. played a part. Yeah, everybody yeah. played a part in it. And but the you episode's know, we, coming. We're going to regroup and do it when we're all in a better place, when we're all not just pissed off at the world, and we can all just agree to knock this episode out without stepping on any toes or talking over one another, stuff like that. You know, It was a bunch of stuff. It wasn't just one particular thing that set some people off the other night. It was just a lot of things going on because like we were just saying, like we just said, very passionate. That's all there is to it. So, uh, yeah, that episode's coming sooner than later. Uh, but, like I said, it's coming. Uh, let's see. We have a fucking new month. This is the last episode of April. April is now in the books. And next week, we kick off May. And that means Bayhem, baby. A whole month of Michael Bay movies that we've had planned for several months now it is finally here i can't believe it dude i remember when we were talking about this for the i was talking about planning it and here we are it is now may mayhem yeah, i'm oh, i'm excited i mean you know for all the shit bay gets i mean he's a talented filmmaker say what you will about his methods his content the way his movies portray certain things Fucking man's talented, though. Uh, even a bad Bay movie is still a watchable Bay movie to me. Uh, so it, it's going to be fun covering uh, different ones throughout his filmography. I just feel kind of bad that we're going to be talking about, uh, you know, a whole month of Bay right after his new movie just bombed really bad. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> it is what it is. Um, yeah, man. Um, Bayhem. Bad Boys. That's That's right talking about the, the event for the whole month but didn't talk about what we're covering next week next week Corey and i getting together same film effect place same film effect time and we're talking about the original michael bay bad boys from 1995 and uh yeah that's coming next week and yeah that's gonna officially wrap this episode this month everything uh it, it was just it was a great time and it's been fun Corey, thanks as always for doing this. No, no, it wouldn't be anywhere else. I mean, when you said RoboCop, I was like, oh, I got to be here for this episode. I mean, of course. It, oh, fuck it's yeah. It's been a blast. But yeah. In the meantime, until next week when we come back, kicking off Bayhem with Bad Boys from Michael Bay. Uh, that's Corey. I'm Ed. Take care now. Bye-bye. Bye, guys. This concludes our broadcast day.